Do you read Stephen King? Good news, there's a club for you, the Losers Club. Every Friday, us losers journey through the never-ending wastelands of King's Dominion. We sink our teeth into each of King's novels, dive deep into the lore, and review every adaptation. Even better, we're always having guests over. Thomas Jane, Will Wheaton, Mary Lambert, Mick Garris, the list goes on. So what are you waiting for? Join us as we read on through long days and pleasant nights. Consequence Podcast Network. From the leafy streets of Springwood, Ohio, to the barred windows at 1428, we are Halloweenies. This is God. And believe in my dream for me. Believe in my dream just for me. And we'll break the mold. Place your bets, folks. We are here for the greatest matchup in horror history. Freddy versus Jason. Yes, you're listening to Halloweenies, a Freddy Krueger podcast. But today we have a special guest coming all the way from New Jersey, I believe. Yeah, Camp Crystal Lake. You might know him from, as I just said, Jason Voorhees. Yeah, so we have a, the crossover of a lifetime, <laughs> as we might want to call it. I'm uh, your host, Editor-in-Chief Michael Rothman of Consequence of Sound. And I am here with a bunch of uh, camp counselors and Weston Hills uh, inmates. No, you wouldn't call uh, Weston Hills inmates. You call them uh, interns, whatever you want to call them. Uh, I'll call them inmates. Okay, whatever. We'll go with that. <laughs> Either way, we are talking Freddy versus Jason. I know that everyone has been anticipating this episode since we first hit Springwood. And I have too, because this definitely means a lot to me as, as, as a horror hound. And it was a good time in my life, but I'm going to save my uh, thoughts for a second because I want to introduce who's with me here on this episode. And directly across from me, we have Mackenzie Metalhead Gerber. Uh, love the metal music in yes. this movie. Uh, <laughs> and I am a constant contributor to this podcast as well as the Losers Club podcast. You are. And when was the first time you saw Freddy vs. Jason? The first time I saw this, I, mean, I think it—I mean, it had to be when it came out in theaters. I—I I, I don't know if I saw it with—I might have seen it with Justin. I might have seen it with my older brother the month it came out. It was August. I think it was right before I went off to college. Yeah, August fifteenth, two thousand three. Yeah, kind of sounds like a Blink One Eight Two song that you're uh, um, kind of painting right there. <laughs> it does. <laughs> I remember. So I haven't watched this movie. I watched it last night, and I hadn't watched it since I saw it in theaters. Wow. So it was fun to rewatch it. But I remember when it, even when it came out, you know, like. I felt that was fun. They didn't fuck it up. Yeah. It, it obviously could have been better, but I walked away feeling pretty decently satisfied. And I think the idea of any, you know, it could have been better is pretty much applied to pretty much every every entry. Yeah. yeah so for, I, I, for me, it was like a safe win mm -hmm. for the most part. Yeah. You know, I was just like, wow, that could have been awful. And yeah. it was really just kind of fun. Yeah, you know, I think fun and, is definitely the keyword. And that's and that's what you I think when you're doing a matchup movie like this. That's all you can ask for. Yeah. No, <laughs> you know, seriously. Like well, to your right, and I see he's kind of fiddling about with some uh, canoes or maybe some oars. You look, just get back here and uh, get on the mic. This is Dan Darkmeat Flieger. Oof. Um, yeah. Checking in, uh, frequent appearances on the Losers Club podcast. Good to be here on Halloweenies. I think I first saw this movie when it came out, the Friday it came out in August. It would have been uh, summer after freshman year of college, and me and fellow loser Dan Caffrey actually went to see it together. Uh, it was good times. Were you a huge fan of which franchise going into it? I'm more of a Freddy guy. Yeah. I'm a sort of a 
loquacious person. So I kind of appreciate, you know, his gregarious sort of just like, I'll use another synonym, jovial nature. Uh, yeah. You know, Jason is kind of the boogeyman. I was never too afraid of the boogeyman, but mm-hmm. there's something about a really sarcastic person killing you and sort of mocking you. Yeah. That really gets to me. So no, Team Freddy here. Ditto, ditto. And going into this, I was definitely um, more on Team Freddy as well. Um, I believe the member out of the actual Losers Club or Halloweenies that's a huge Team Jason, I think, would be Justin. Yeah, I don't know who I was trying. I don't know if I went in knowingly rooting for one or the other <laughs> when yeah. I saw this, but uh, I was definitely more uh, more Freddy. Although, you know, Justin and I watched all those Jason movies, all yeah. the Friday the 13th movies forever you know, as kids. So, well, but yeah, I think Justin was more invested in how they were going to handle the Jason stuff in this movie. Interested to hear his thoughts because Look, we've teased it for months, but odds are we're going to probably be staying here at Camp Crystal Lake going into the next season. We're just saying that. We don't know. We're not we're not sure, but we are recording this literally on the last day of summer, and I'm enjoying my little lakeside residency right now. I believe I'm at uh, the same house from uh, Friday the 13th, uh, the final <laughs> chapter. I'm in Jarvis' room right now, and I see a lot of spooky masks, but... <laughs> Hey, I'm getting a transmission from my uh, ham radio, and I believe it's from a friend of ours that's all the way back in Springwood, Ohio, and that is... Hi, I'm Raisin Burn Ward Kruger, and I, I'm, I'm just hanging out with Roseanne and Tom Arnold. Oh, oh. nice. Is it, is it lonely out there? It's, I feel like I hear all Very the kids are gone. and loud. I believe there's a cool circus in town, though, that you can go visit, and um, I think that Alice Cooper might be somewhere around there also, so... I mean, they say it's cool, but, you know. Hey, if you didn't know, listeners, those were all references to uh, Freddy's, Freddy's Dead, Dead. <laughs> which is an episode we covered a couple yeah, months the ago. Most, and... The most popular uh, of the franchise. <laughs> yes, grab your 3D glasses and have some fun. Uh, Rathan, uh, what was the first time you saw Freddy vs. Jason? In theaters. Uh, I won't tell you how many times, because I want to keep uh, my dignity. <laughs> uh, no, that's not a fight against it. It's just, you know, you can only so many times in the movie theater for one movie before it gets absurd yeah so i'll just leave that there but i enjoyed it as you can tell it was a fun ride i'm obviously team freddy but you know i I didn't go in there rooting for anyone really it just enjoyed the ride i'm in a similar boat as you i i really just sunk my teeth into this one and i i saw it a bunch of times in theaters like when i saw it opening night i want to say i went back the next day and oh wow because i had just been so obsessed with the production of this movie you know as i mentioned in the first season of this podcast i had a halloween fan site so i was always scouring like you know horror news for anything and freddy versus jason i was always tempted to write about even though it wouldn't make any fucking sense on a site called haddonfield illinois to just really want to report on this because there's so many little headlines that would come out left and right about this production. And so when it finally came out, it really was like an event. Like I remember sitting in computer class in high school and this is when they had like the old IMAX that like are see-through and everything that are on there. And I was like desperately trying to download the right file to be able to get the right flash program to watch the trailer because it had just dropped. And everyone in the class was just like, oh, Freddy Krueger? What, what, they haven't made a movie of his in forever. I was like, I know, it's fucking crazy. Like, he's back and he's fighting Jason. They're like, what? And I remember all the kids gathering around my computer and watching this trailer. And they're like, it looks pretty fucking dope. Or, you know, like whatever anyone was saying back in 2003, yeah, early 2003. Rad, but rad, I, saw, I was uh, so stoked. <laughs> and I really liked it. And, I, you know, I obviously had some some things I was like, meh, that could have been better. But 
at the time, like horror was so weird and especially like throwback horror. There wasn't really that type of throwback horror at the time. It was mostly like glossy horror movies and there are a lot of really shitty sequels that were going around. Um, So like to have like these two Titans come back and especially just even Robert England, like the fact that we saw Robert England on screen. This was literally the first time that I was able to actually see him on screen. I've never, I didn't get to see a new nightmare, you know, oh, really? I, like yeah. until later on when it was on VHS. So yeah. to actually be able to see Robert England on the big screen was so big for me. And like, you know, there was, I remember my girlfriend wasn't a big fan of it because she didn't really like how they portrayed a lot of the female characters in it. And I was like, you know, I agree with we'll you. Talk about and that, then yeah. I like would wake up and go see it alone and stuff. But <laughs> either way, I was same with same boat. Every uh, morning. <laughs> but hey, we have a lot to talk about in this episode because if uh, you could tell from me teasing the developmental hell of this movie uh, is as fierce and as furious as the Fast and Furious franchise <laughs> and also the fires that claimed our titular uh, villain, uh, Freddy. So we're going to be talking about that. But before we get into our production history and what we like to call Weston Hills Sound, we do have some news. Surprisingly, we do have some news. I have a headline and we're going to go right into it now. Don't miss me. Okay, so... We probably have to preface this in every episode of Halloweenies this season, but any news on Nightmare on Elm Street is pretty much news because there's literally nothing going on in this franchise, which is surprising considering how insane horror is right now. And you'd think New Line would be like, oh my God, let's bring Freddy back. You know, Robert England wants to do it. Heather Langenkamp wants to do it. All these stars are, you know, game to kind of come back to the house that Freddy built. And yet there's nothing going on. However, my good old pal Brad Misco over at Bloody Disgusting broke a story on Friday. Friday the 13th, anyone? And uh, said that one of the biggest conversations of the horror community right now is the current state of the Friday the 13th franchise, which is trapped in a legal battle between two parties. It all started when the Friday the 13th writer, Victor Miller, exercised a legal right that would revert ownership of the story back to him. Director Sean Cunningham's Horror Incorporated, however, refutes this, and that's why we are where we are. While all of us were focusing on Friday, I checked in on the status of another iconic slasher, one who lays dormant in Springwood, Ohio. Oh, we know that. What I discovered is that, and this is why I'm reading the article because it's a little complicated, is that Wes Craven's estate pulled a similar maneuver this year and regained the U.S. rights to both A Nightmare on Elm Street and its red and green sweater fedora-wearing dream demon, Freddy Krueger. Long story short, the law is that writers can reclaim ownership of their work after 35 years, and 2019 marks the 35 years since Elm Street was first released. So the Craven estate? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, but they only have U.S. rights. So this is what he says after that. He's like, the implications are unknown to me as I'm not a lawyer, but the good news is that there appears to be no third party staying in the way of the Craven's estate from making deals for the franchise or the iconic slasher. In other words, there's no current legal battle over the rights allowing Craven's estate over the franchise's future here in the States. From what I understand, WB and Luline still controls the international rights, much like Friday the 13th. So, so there probably have to be some kind of team up between the Craven estate and yeah. New Line to get this done. But would you want it done any other way? You know, I would want, I, I'm no. fine with that. So... Who's over at the Craven Estate? Uh, that's that's. I imagine it's working wife. on film. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it's, or it's, like developing Freddy projects. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Unless they're just doing that to secure, I don't it's, know, legacy. I, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, the family too could sign off on licensing mm-hmm. the rights out. So even if no one oh, in the yeah, family is like, true. you know, following the father's footsteps, they're still gonna get a cut of that if they dole it out to New Line. Exactly. If New Line's hungry enough for it and they want to pay them for it. Well, it should be noted that uh, Dan Flieger here is a lawyer, so oh. check knows the legal rights of this. So I am going to defer to him um, on all pretty business going forward. However, I guess the big question that I have here is that, so Craven was explicit in that New Nightmare was the end for him. 
I wonder if he has anything that's in there. I mean, I doubt he does. That says like, I don't want any more. I want it to be done. I want it to be buried. And if that's the case, then I wonder if we might not ever actually even see Freddy Krueger. You know what? Is that okay? I, I think that might be okay. Without Robert Englund in it? You know yeah. what I mean? We tried it once and it didn't quite work. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we're still watching uh, and loving Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein and Metropolis. And yeah, exactly. Those are almost 100 years old by now. Yeah. And they tried, they've tried to remake those kinds of movies and they just never can quite do it in a way that's interesting or long lasting. So, yeah. I always think about how Martin Luther King's family has licensed his right to Apple commercials. Yeah. So anything is possible at this point. <laughs> that's true. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, look, money talks. That's it. Uh, you know, yeah. I believe that's a line from one of the Halloween movies, actually, too. Um, oh, I think it's uh, Halloween 4 uh, when Wade is uh, trying to uh, hit on uh, Kelly Meeker. That's a fun reference to an episode that we did last year on Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. You can find that in our feed. But right now, I think that's all that we have for uh, any nightmare business here. But uh, we're going to move on, and we're going to finally talk about Freddy vs. Jason's production history. And I look, I've been losing sleep over this, and not because of the, the nightmares I'm getting from Freddy Krueger, but just because there is so much to talk about in this section. Oh, yeah. So beware. If you need to go to the bathroom, you need to, to make yourself uh, you know, some sandwich or something like that, go do it, because this is going to be a very long section that we're going into, and we like to call Weston Hills Asylum. The fact that we all dreamt about this guy before we ever met doesn't seem to impress anybody. So we go in circles, making minimal progress with maximum effort. You won't make any progress until you recognize your dreams for what they are. And what are they? The byproducts of guilt. Psychological scars stemming from moral conflicts and overt sexuality. Oh, great. Nash, my dick is killing me. Before we get into the 17 layers of hell <laughs> of this, uh, this thing, I'm just going to run down the basics. So, Freddy vs. Jason, it was released on August 15th, 2003. It was directed by Ronnie Yu, produced by Seanus Cunningham the godfather of the Friday the 13th franchise, right. which Victor Miller would be very upset to hear about. Um, <laughs> it was written by Damian Shannon and Mark Swift, who were the titans that managed to come through the real Freddy versus Jason here because they went waded through so much red tape to get to this and make it happen. And uh, music was by Graham Revell, who you might know as the composer of The Crow. A lot of movies. And a lot of movies. I just always go to The, the, Crow, the Crow. is really... Yeah, I, I looked at all those movies and I thought, wow, he's done a lot of movies, but I can't remember any of those themes, which, of course. Yeah. <laughs> the Crow was like, the only one that sticks There's a lot of movies so I've seen in the know, yeah. And then cinematography was Fred Murphy. It was edited by Mark Stevens. And it had the largest budget of any Friday or Nightmare movie. It was insane, actually. They spent more money on this and marketing it than both films. $25 million budget for the film. And then the advertising budget surpassed the marketing campaigns for all of the prior Friday the 13th films combined. I think they might have equaled the, the budget for this, for the, the actual marketing. But huge deal. And if you were there going to movies throughout 2003, you could vividly see just the hype that was going on at that. I remember seeing character posters. I remember seeing huge banners that were all across the theaters. So this is a huge juggernaut project for New Line Cinema. However, as we'll discuss right now, it almost didn't come to fruition because it literally spent like 16 years just toiling away with negotiations, script developments, um, delays because of other Nightmare and Friday the 13th entries. So the roots of all this go back to 1987 
Now, how old were you in 1987, Dan? Uh, I was three years old. Okay. How old are you, Mac? I was four years old. Four years old? How are you? How old are you, Rathan? Two. I was three. So we were all babies <laughs> when this movie was Baby being Halloween. We were Freddy Bait. We were Freddy Bait. Yeah, we were. Oh, God. <laughs> Freddy Babies. Ugh, creepy. creepy. Um, we were basically Jason. Uh, no, none of us were Jason the age at, at, at that point. No, I, so did, we, I didn't drown a camp. We couldn't even go to Camp Crystal Lake and drown ourselves unless we were you know, thrown into the water like Moses or something. But um, anyway. <laughs> yeah, Moses a, drowned in yeah, the water. <laughs> no, he didn't. But mi- mixing my biblical uh, imagery here. I'm just so Jewish. Anyway, basically what happens is 87, right after Dream Warriors came out, huge movie. Dream Warriors basically restarted the franchise again. And it was also right around the time that Jason Lives came out. And Jason Lives was a huge success. It was probably my third favorite of the Friday 13th movies. It's up there. Every time I watch it, it gets better. It's it's, it's great. So fun. I almost consider it like the Evil Dead 2 of the franchise. I'd say that's a bit on par with this movie in terms of uh, tone. Oh, I agree. I kind of wish that they would have gotten the director originally for it. But right before New Blood, which if you call in Friday the 13th, again, we haven't really talked about Friday the 13th. But this one was where they have the Carrie Carrie crossover, the 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 telekinetic uh, protagonist. Yeah, and the reason why they have that new character is because at the time Sean Cunningham and Paramount was really hoping to get Freddy in, and they wanted to have some sort of you know imaginative entry into the Friday the Thirteenth uh, thing. So you have a huge Titan distribution company like Paramount, and then you have New Line, who's rising, but definitely was no Paramount. I mean, Paramount released Raiders of Lost Ark, so let's be real. So they wanted to strong-arm New Line into a situation that would pretty much just give them international rights, and to to quote um, Tim Robinson, New Line was like, no fucking deal. Um, (laughs) Basically, they kind of got gested. Everything was just like floating around, blah, 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 and after Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan was released in 1989, the rights finally reverted back to Scuderi Minijan and Barshimato, and they sold them to New Line. So now Cunningham was like, fuck yeah, I can make this happen. And here we go with pretty much the most insane. <laughs> this is literally the Chinese democracy of, <laughs> yeah. of horror movies. <laughs> Rathan, you read the book Slashing the Titans, and you have in-depth history of this. What I read here, it says that New Line spent $6.8 million over the years, and they developed 18 different scripts, 17 or 18 different scripts over 10 years. <laughs> what do you recall from all this? Like, is the timeline right on here based on what I'm saying? 10 different screenplays. But yeah, everything else up and up. They spent a ton of money just getting it written, which is absurd. It's insane. So the first one I see here, and this is from an article from Bloody Disgusting, because if you look online and you Google just like Freddy vs. Jason production history, there's like... 30 articles of people just pulling different parts of it like not even just talking about just the whole scripts but like how insane some of these scripts got the first one i see was lewis abernathy yep with this one he was hired to merge the two franchises and he got involved in the wake of jason goes to hell so i imagine nothing script wise was really put to paper until jason goes to hell hit theaters right uh, Brady, uh, claw coming out to grab the mask was like, all right. Yeah, it was a little, it, a little uh, catalyst. Yeah, impetus to to start getting uh getting something on paper. Kind of like forcing their hand a little bit. To be yeah, like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which, by the because, way, because because they saw all of a sudden, you know, the fans came out in droves. Uh, oh, yeah. at the end of that movie, and just were like, it's going to happen. So they realized, uh, yeah, we should probably make this happen. <laughs> when Freddy vs. Jason was first discussed, so like for me, it was always a playground thing. You know, around this time yeah, in the 90s, yeah. it was always everyone would talk about. It. I used to hear from people on the playground that like they were brothers 
And like people, you were already getting these like stupid little really? urban legends. Yeah, I remember people would tell me like, "Oh yeah, like you know, Jason's actually Freddy's brother or something like that." Now, now, is this your theory that you're pawning off on your friends on the playground? No, I wasn't. <laughs> was this I was you just, <laughs> making no, this up? It was a bunch of like. It was the same reason. Like it was all these stupid urban myths, like the nude cheat in Mortal Kombat. Somebody would say, "Oh yeah, you could see Sonya Blade nude," and you just make up bullshit on the playground all the time. Yeah, a lot of people are saying. A lot of people are saying. Oh yeah, they're yeah. brothers. It's fake news. It was definitely it's fake news. Fake news. Uh, I always, see, I always thought that Freddy would be the father mm. just because, you know, of his, you well, know, they, he, they he loves that. the sexual assault. They, and they did say that in one of, one of the scripts, oh, there was the idea that he <laughs> raped, you know, Jason's mother. And then it, 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 I mean, there was a lot of and then crazy possibly stuff abused Jason on. as he was a child. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of iterations <sighs> of these screenplays. So Jason goes to hell. Let's talk about that for just a second, because this movie is also just insane. So you pretty much have the two craziest chapters in the respective franchises go out in the 90s. Jason Goes to Hell, which obviously was the catalyst because at the end, you see the Freddy Claw coming out of the mm-hmm, dirt, which mm-hmm. is a great shot, by the way. Yeah, and it's great, actually great Kane Hodder's shot. hand. Kane Hodder's hand, yeah. So that's the only involvement he'll have <laughs> yeah. in Freddy versus Jason, which we'll talk about in a second. But yeah. then from there, you have New Nightmare, which also set the whole project back because Wes Craven came back for the 10th anniversary, as we discussed in the last episode. And New Line was like, Look, we got Wes back. We don't need Freddy versus Jason. Sean Cunningham was pissed. He went off to go do Jason X. But, you know, Jason Goes to Hell, the only thing I really remember growing up of everyone saying was, that's the one that Freddy comes in, and you really do talk about Freddy versus Jason. Was that the kind of the thing, same thing for you, Mac? Or You know, not really. I mean, I remember watching that on VHS, I think, with my brother and... I was really into Jason Goes to Hell at the time. I thought it was really cool and it just felt like it was very 90s. Yeah. And I think I was, it was very, it felt very fresh to well, me give, give at us the time. A quick summation of what goes on in uh, Jason well, yeah, Goes to Hell. Jason Hell is fucking nuts. In brief, uh, <laughs> we realized that Jason's actually possessed by this demon and that it kind of continually gets thrown up into other people's mouths throughout the movie. So Jason's in the movie for like a total of like five minutes probably because yeah. it's just like other people walking around killing people. And uh, I just remember the, uh, uh, what's his name from X-Files? It's Mr. Not... X? Or, oh, uh, yes. You know, he's yeah, a, he's, yeah. Uh, yeah um, he was like the bounty hunter chasing Jason. I thought the premise was cool. As a kid, I really loved it, but watched it again recently and <laughs> it's, it's a hard watch. But yeah. yeah, I think that that ending was a total surprise to me. Totally. And, and that's all I talked about after Afterwards, but initially it wasn't wasn't, it was the, wasn't just, the thing that I heard about. I just I heard it was like a cool movie, and you know I wanted I really wanted to watch. I just remember seeing the cover at the, the, at, the at Blockbuster. Yeah, the, the mask and, the, so and the, cool. the, the, the the demon coming out of it. Where, yeah. And I just thought, what the fuck? I always wanted to what see it. This? So yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, similar because uh, I had only watched the Jason movies on USA Network Ditto. during the summer, so I always saw the uncensored versions as a little kid. And I remember in '93 going to see Hocus Pocus, and the adjacent <laughs> theater was Jason Goes to Hell. And I could just hear screaming the whole movie, like going through the walls. And yeah. I just sat there being like, I want to go see that movie. And I loved Hocus Pocus, but <laughs> I think that was a real transitional time period where I was like, there's a different type of horror that I need to go after here. Love I think that's a great double feature at Halloween is to watch Hocus Pocus and J- and Jason Goes to Hell on two screens at the same time yes. in the same room. <laughs> see the thing, Mick Garris would approve. Rathan, what were your earliest memories of this era? You know, like I said, I'm not a big Jason guy. I saw Jason Goes to Hell. I thought, where's Jason? Yeah. Oh, there he is. And now he's gone. Who are all these other people? Why do people keep throwing up dicks? <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, there's Freddy. Cool. That was it. All right. I'm, I'm going to watch Freddy. 
it's kind of a disappointing movie in hindsight because I mean, honestly, like Jason goes to hell is pretty brutal. There's that like, is it? I think it's in the tent when they're in the tent and she like yeah. splits in half or something like that. Like that scene's pretty great. There's some brutal gore in that movie, yeah. But okay, so laying laying the land a little bit, before, you know, because I want to talk about the different scripts. The reason why some of these scripts got so wild and got so imaginative is because both respective franchises were just swinging for the fences. You know, we talked about Jason Goes to Hell where they literally he's just eating hearts to go from one person to another. And then you have New Nightmare, which literally jumps out into reality. So you have screenplays that range from Jason being on the stand in court, a la the O.J. Simpson <laughs> yeah, case that yeah, was happening yeah. at the time. <laughs> Which I think even that movie ends where you find out that Friday the 13th was supposed to be movies all along also because they wanted the meta thing also to weird. As we mentioned before, you know, Fred Kruger was a Camp Crystal Lake counselor that molested Jason. And then there were scripts where I think they made it so that Jason's family were those that burned Freddy also. I mean, so many insane stuff. And I think at one point, and I think it's the same script as the court one they become one person in this shopping mall, like a two-headed monster that the whole shopping mall burns down something like in Starcourt Mall and Stranger Things 3, available now on Netflix, which I really love. (laughs) I would crave so much for these movies, like just reading them, because hearing about like the fact that they were even talking about bringing back Alice Johnson or Tommy Jarvis, I was like, oh my God, we're going to get these characters back. And obviously that didn't come to fruition. But Rathan, looking back as you read the book, what were some of the ones that like really stuck out to you? Of some screenplays that just are the craziest in your mind? Wow, <laughs> um, <laughs> the one by um, Brendan Braga and um, Ronald D. Moore. That was weird because that was the one where Jason was real. Like there was a real Jason, and the Friday Thirteenth movies were based off of his uh, murders, mm-hmm. and he was put on trial, and he was an insomniac, and they knocked him out, and Freddy popped up, and hijinks ensue. There was another one written by the guy who wrote The Cell about oh, wow. a grad student uh, writing about uh, Freddy and Jason. And the research connects her to them, which uh, makes her able to stop them. There's this recurring thing with the scripts with the Fred heads, which yeah. I thought was a cool idea. until they latched on to this uh, Dominic Necros. Like if it was just Freddy in charge of the Fred heads, I thought that would have been awesome. But... When you have a movie called Freddy and Jason, you don't want some other guy in it. A lot of them just keep rehashing. They really latched on to the to the Dominic Necros thing for a long time. I mean, it's it's weird to think like that trends would emerge from one screenplay to the next. And honestly, like I, I imagine there's at least like a few of the earlier ones that probably could have worked. Like, I mean, I don't think Louis Abernathy's script is that bad. Like, I think the idea that if they changed the history to make it that Freddy Krueger was the camp counselor in there, like, I mean, that's kind of crazy, but it's also not that crazy. Like, I mean, you don't know what yeah. he did before he moved exactly. to Springwood. I mean, you can do that. And what they ultimately did decide to do was you fucking with the lore, yeah. with the creation lore of these two villains, really would have messed up the franchise. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if they almost messed with the lore in every single Jason movie about yeah. how he actually became Jason because it's very muddy over the first three films, to be honest. And if this was a more of a Jason movie, you could have done that maybe and gotten away with it because you've done that so many times. But Freddy's lore, Freddy's origin story, you know, when they did mess with that and Freddy's dead, people got really upset and that's yeah. not a very popular movie. So I'm glad that they decided to just 
say, okay, we don't need to connect them in that way. No. Like, though, I think the way they connect them in the movie is actually the best way of, of doing it without sacrificing or changing anything. I agree. You know, and, and you get those little brief, you know, prequel moments in the beginning of this film. And, I, you know, it was kind of fun to see Robert England as Robert England. I know. Friday, you know, and, and which His you, final you, hurrah, you get to basically. see in some other things. But, like, it, I don't know. He looks so clean cut. And, uh, anyways, uh, ultimately, I think that. All the scripts and all the stuff that I had heard and read over the years, they've got some really cool ideas here and there, but nothing I think I really would have wanted to see come to fruition because I don't think they, they could have made it work. Dream concert one oh, wait, what's a dream concert? There was one just before uh, the Freddy vs. Jason we got where Frey decided he was going to uh, slaughter thousands of souls in a dream concert, which will empower him to enter reality. Uh, the dream child pulls Jason into the dream world to prevent Freddy from accumulating this many souls. Oh, my God. Yeah, making that complex and complicated, it just, you didn't need to do it. I mean, because, like, the beauty of it is that, I mean, I guess if you're going from the ending of Freddy's Dead, this movie does make sense. Because he has yeah. to, like, kind of regain his control again. So that's kind yeah. of cool. And I mean, on that on that theme of the certain ideas recurring within the scripts, I don't know, I guess the dream concert sort of turned into a dream rave in yeah. a cornfield. Yeah. Um, so there is still that <laughs> musical element. But, I mean, we're basically just telling the same stories yeah. time and time again, whether it's Pride and Prejudice or Freddy vs. Jason. I mean, you're always going to have a rave in a cornfield and souls are going to get harvested. So well, let me speaking of that rave, um, another movie that had a rave scene in it um, that same year was uh, Matrix Revelations. What was the better rave scene? The cave rave in Matrix Ooh. or this rave? <laughs> I kind of got I got to go with the cave rave. I think I actually really like that. scene. I actually think I actually think Revel- one of the, I remember watching that just thinking. I can't believe we're, I'm watching this slow-mo cave rave yeah. in The Matrix. I was no, just like, we really jumped the yeah, shark. No, like, nobody got killed at oh the cave God. rave, and I'm no. pretty sure they all had sex. I just remember it kept being intercut, and now we're really jumping. It kept being intercut with Neo, like, fucking Carrie. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just so hey, weird. Hey, hot take, I think Revelations is better than Reloaded. Not even a hot take. I've only seen those movies once. I don't I, can't, I don't want to see them again. Wow. I, I really like the first one. I love but it. I, don't, I did not care for the Agreed. sequels at all. I love it. But, uh, okay, so back on to uh, Crystal Lake. There was another really cool one that I actually would be interested to see and read more about, which is that there were developments that were happening at Crystal Lake where they are going to start building things there. And Tommy Jarvis was somebody that was, like, petitioning against it. And I think that made it through like a few scripts as well. For context, for some of our listeners, Tommy Jarvis was a character that was originated by Corey Feldman in Final Chapter, who basically came back in five and six, but really in Jason Lives is when he becomes like sort of the hero and wears one of the coolest jean jackets of the 80s and huge fan of uh, Tom Matthews. But Tom McLaughlin directed it, who I really wish would have directed this because I think that would have been more in tone with the 80s because the, the one thing I will say if we're going to pivot actually to talking about the movie because I think we've talked a lot about the development if we want to get ahead basically the gist of it is is that finally after Jason X came out it was the lowest grossing of the Friday the 13th but there's still interest from New Line to be like alright let's fucking make this movie finally and really, it had David Cronenberg and it had David Cronenberg uh, which was a huge push I would imagine because they also used his AD units in that movie too love so, crony uh, love Crony, and I love that he d- insisted on being killed by uh, Jason. But yeah. either way, so Damien Shannon and Mark Swift were really the ones that like kind of shepherded this because Michael DeLuca was fired from New Line, and he was one of the ones that was trying to get Jason X out, which is why it was held in post production hell for two years, and why Freddy vs. Jason kind of fell wayside. So it was really Damien Shannon and Mark Swift who had to like 
pitch these new line executives like, look, we could do this. We should do this. They literally describe it in one of the documentaries as like they acted out the movie for the most part or acted out the history of these characters to show like there is reason to do this. We have to do this. And so to their credit, they created a script that worked. It's the one that we, for the most part, see on screen. However, it was really long. It was very long. And David S. Goyer came in. We know him from Batman Begins. So basically what happened is, is that Goyer comes in, cuts out a ton of stuff, including Tommy Jarvis, because I believe that he was originally in the actual original screenplay. I mm-hmm. think it was supposed to be Jason Ritter was supposed to be playing Tommy Jarvis. Wasn't Brad Renfro originally supposed to be that, that yeah. character? And Brad Renfro was supposed yeah. to be Will. And yeah. so they basically... I think he showed up to set kind of stoned out too, unfortunately, because you know, he died from right, OD right. a few yeah. years later. But that would have been great to see him in that because I'm a huge fan. Yeah, no, that would have been so cool. Because he actually shot some stuff with Monica Kino. He also shot know. some stuff into his arm. So. All right. Yep. That's <laughs> And he died in my hometown in uh, South Florida. So... It's, uh, it was very sad because I loved Brad Renfro and I would have loved to see him in this movie. But let's talk about the actual film itself because now we're here. The film came out. They've chiseled down this script. It's made it happen. I'm not a huge fan of Ronnie Yu's direction here. I think that it's a little too steely. I think there's a, a weird blue wash over everything that makes it look too 2002, 2003. I don't think there's enough love for either franchise, even though this is clearly a nightmare movie, mostly because Bob Shea put his hand and like was just like all right tipped his hand and was like all right we're gonna do more nightmare let's cut out more of the friday the 13th stuff which kind of sucks ronnie you had done bride of chucky which i actually really enjoyed because you know that franchise always just kind of became more of a comedy to me as as it went on and that was really the only way to kind of bring life into that franchise but with freddie vs jason it's just so steeped in horror and they had gotten had become so silly as they've gone on and i was really hoping for a return to kind of the darker horror aspects of it he just kind of hinged more on the the camp angle. And, you know, they talk about how it was just supposed to be like an old monster movie mashup, like the Wolfman vs. Frankenstein and all that kind of yeah. stuff, which I love as a kid. I think I appreciate it more now in terms of just knowing what it is. I know it's a fun movie. But at the time, I was a little disappointed by the direction in which it went. I know that they were a fan of some of his work. But what really got to me and still doesn't really sit well is that the one team-up movie, the one movie that should be helmed by someone that has a real love and respect for the franchises yeah. was helmed by someone that was not a fan of either franchise yeah. and didn't care. And I understand trying to bring in new blood or someone with a different perspective, but you can still Friday do that. Part seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, where they were saying, well, let's get the guy from Weekend at Bernie's in the... the no, yeah, just, right. Yeah. But ultimately, <laughs> I think that you could have had anyone else in there and, and probably done about the same. Mm-hmm. I don't think, Ronnie, you necessarily brought anything super special to this. Yeah. No. Know, but I can't say it because I haven't seen a lot. I haven't seen any of his work. But, but in terms of the cinematography and the look of the film, yeah. um, I don't know who the cinematographer was, but it's so clean and the sets do not look lived in. They look like sets from the fucking house at the beginning that just it doesn't even look like the house, Ooh. you know? Yeah. Cinematographer it's, is Fred Murphy, who I'm not even joking. Like uh, he's basically lens movies that we've really crapped on in this. Like he did Secret Window. Yeah, um, it's just, you know, it, it feels and, it feels really lifeless and just yeah. kind of meh. Yeah. Well, it's weird because, like, he, he's done movies that actually have, like, a pretty good aesthetic. Like, he did Hoosiers, which is a great film. He did Jack the Bear, which is very underrated and actually has some really lush uses of shadow in that movie. But he also did, around this time leading up to it, Soul Survivors, which is one of the worst films I've ever seen in mm. my life and cut to pieces in hell. But what's weird is he also did this, The Mothman Prophecies, and I thought that movie was, like, just gorgeous. I wonder if this is from the, the technology of that era where we were sort of transitioning 
into the 2000s, so the camera technology was getting better. Yeah. But I don't know that these movies are great when they appear so bright and vibrant. And he's right. The sets don't look lived in. It's like going through a bad haunted house where everything's almost like in its perfect place, whereas you want something that's kind of grimy and dirty and busted up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and another huge deterrent of this film is the the incredible use of CG. And here's the thing. At the time that all this stuff is CG and all this stuff is happening, as kids... We all realized how shitty it looked, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't remember seeing that movie and being like, oh my God, I'm like the blown away by the effects. Like, no, I was like, this looks fucking fake. No, the early 2000s So I don't understand why the, the producers and the heads of these companies and stuff thought that any of this was like working or good. And now, yeah, I, and I understand the money's aspect of it, but from Kelly Rowland's nose coming off to like, just like the thick blood, um, it just... Ah oh, man, it just falls flat for me. Like all, a lot of the gore in this movie just does not work because it just you can tell it's fake. I agree. Now it's intercut with a lot of real prosthetics and yeah. things. You know, like Mark's feet being the in Mark's the ground feet, that, when it when they show the CG of the things coming out into his legs. But once it's in there and they show the legs, it's real prosthetics and it looks really good. Yeah. But that's the problem is you've either got to go one way or the other because when you're putting them right next to each other, you can tell that does not look like what you just showed yeah. a split second before. And it's just pulling me constantly out of the movie. Oh, I agree. In terms of how it looks, I thought it was a sibling movie to Dream Master because uh, that was very glossy and pretty, even though, you know, it was set in a grimy Elm Street world and, you know, the camera angles were all flashy and stuff. So, yeah, it was definitely a product of its time. But if you look at all the movies, it doesn't stand out as uh, much as, say, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake did or the Friday the 13th, whatever it was, was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Requel, I guess you could call it. I mean, it's kind yeah, of Yeah, they're not committed on what what kind of uh But that makes but that movie too makes sense because the writers went on to do yeah, that film. So it's, it had the same kind of feel and the same kind of shtick, but I mean, come on. The the, the Freddy shadow in this movie? Yeah. You, you know what I mean? It's like that stuff it just does not work. It's like I get the sentiment and I understand where you're coming from with that, but Man, it just looks silly. Honestly, it's just crazy. I, yeah. I, and I've talked a lot about this. It's just a really bad time for CGI because they were just, I think a lot of houses, CGI houses or production houses were all like, oh, we got it. We can do this. But if you look back, like, I mean, Spider-Man in 2002, I saw the movie like 13 times in theaters. But looking back now, I'm like, holy shit. When he first like gets the powers and he's climbing up the walls, I mean, it looks like a PlayStation 2 like FMV sequence. I mean, it's awful. Yeah. 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 I, I remember uh, Peter Jackson being interviewed about the Lord of the Rings and some of the battle sequences are obviously CGI. And he's like bragging that, you know, the creatures will engage automatically and fight each other. This is where we're at. And I was like, yeah, that happens in Starcraft and Warcraft when I yeah. play on my home computer. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's. It just showed that disconnect with what they thought they were pushing boundaries that had really already been established elsewhere. Oh, yeah. And, and, on a, and hey, actually, speaking of Peter Jackson, he was offered to direct this movie and he turned it down. And yep. uh, so did Rob Zombie on the set of uh, House of a Thousand Corpses. I think he was asked and he was just like, no, no, no. I'm good. glad he said no, because then we got Devil's Rejects, which is really the, the one of the strongest. Zombie it, it really is. Although I would I mean, if we we're talking about getting back like older aesthetics. Rathan and I were just talking about Rob Zombie a couple of weeks ago on my show, Relevant Content. And like one of the things we were talking about big time was like the aesthetic that he's able to capture of like different eras. So I do wonder if he would have been able to give it like, especially since he wouldn't be working with his own script, which is probably one of the reasons why he said no. But I would have at the time coming off House of a Thousand Corpses, I would have loved to see what he what he yeah. could have done with this franchise. Especially the use of color in that movie. But again, seeing what he did with 
the Halloween movies, like, would it have been respectful to the lores of the original franchises? Like, would it have just been total departure? I have no idea. I don't know. I think that would have been an interesting take, but I don't think I would have liked it. Well, ideally, like, looking back, (laughs) The look of it, maybe, but... I mean, I I think looking back, I wish Rennie Harlan would have been able to do this because this is, like, at the level of Dream Master. Like, you need to have, like, a blockbuster movie here yeah. like it needs to be i mean it's it's a fucking you know brawl it's probably more of a brawl than it needed to be because i think you know obviously wrestling was huge at the time with like with wcw ecw wwe which i think was still wwf at the time but i think like having someone with that sort of blockbuster mentality like harlan did with dream master would have been really great but i also would have been fine with tom mclaughlin who was interested in it early on in like the, the 80s but mm-hmm. i mean Rathan, if you could have had anyone at the time do this Oh, for director of Ichi the Killer, and oh man, that would have been yeah. insane. Just go completely. I mean, he would have delivered on what you want, but not in the way that you want it. It would have yeah. been amazing, though. Those fight scenes would have been so gory. For me, what I really wanted, and looking back most on this movie that I think this lacks, and I'm sure this original script has it, is all the mythology. Like, one of the things I really love about Nightmare on Elm Street is just how connected, and even for the Friday the 13th franchise, they really do keep the lore going, you know, and they keep the mythology yeah. going. You know, there's credit to the fact that they bring back Weston Hills. There's credit to the fact that they bring back, like, the Hypnosil and stuff like that. And they obviously mention a few other things here and there. But I really would have loved, like, some more things that were embedded into the actual, like, franchises, and especially the Friday the 13th. I think, like, most Friday the 13th fans would agree that like they got pretty shorthanded with this. And one. that's due to um, David Goyer's rewrite because A, he wasn't interested in doing the rewrite. It was an obligation to new line for something. And they basically said, all right, streamline it. And since we're the house that Freddy built, kind of yeah. you know, make it more Freddy. But the original script very much played fair with both camps as much as you could. And it was uh, a lot darker which is what the friday the 13th thing became yeah and i almost wish like we talked about like lived in i think like that would have made this movie a lot better too as if like i mean even weston hills asylum it just doesn't feel like a continuation no. even though it really is no. like the continuity is there which i respected i love the the hidden sill stuff yeah. i loved all of the nightmare continuity i thought was like really really satisfying for me as a fan but yeah it just doesn't feel like we're in Springwood. No, <laughs> or, you and, know, and, and I, it's like we're on a Children of the Corn three set. Yeah, really seriously. That's what it felt like. I one of the things that I I really do applaud for this era right now of filmmaking is that like while we are getting a lot of remakes and whatever you know legacy sequels and you know the thing I do love about the legacy sequels is that like there is this inherent need to find the original source material to like really respect the original source material to go back to the original talent that was involved. Like, I mean, you like watch like the new creep show and like everyone that's still, you know, surviving and alive are like a part of that production. Like same thing with like last year's Halloween. Like I really do wish that would extend more to like the actual locations. You know, I think like that's a huge thing. I mean, I yeah. think that a lot of people have really gotten to that. And level the problem yet. is, I mean, when you're looking at it from a studio perspective, all of this stuff boils down to where is it cheaper to film? Yeah. You romanticize the idea of filming in those locations or those places, but maybe it would have just been, it costs too much or whatever, you know, but like, we don't care because we're fans and we just want it, you know yeah. I mean? But like, you never know, not to give the studios a pass or anything. I think they need to try harder to, to recapture the, <laughs> yeah. at least the look or feel for God's sake. But yeah, the whole David S. Goyer coming in and cleaning up the script, that's why it feels so choppy. Like this, I don't think I noticed it, but this time around, there's a line that Lori says on the couch. She's seemingly like distracted or falling asleep. And then all of a sudden she's just like clear as day, like 
Freddie died by fire. Jason died by water. How can we use that? And then they cut back to the other people talking, and it's it comes out of fucking nowhere. And you're like, <laughs> what what the fuck is going on in this? It's it's like you knew there was more to those scenes or more yeah. to that scene because she seems so with it all of a sudden. It's so bizarre. Yeah. Or just some just some of the dialogues seems really strange. Like there's a, the, the, in the beginning monologue, like Freddie <laughs> says something about um millions of would die by my blades. You're like, like millions? Who the fuck is talking right now? Like who talks like that? Yeah. You know, it's so strange. Also, like who is he talking to? He's talking to us, the audience. It's, it, 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 it's a so it's a continuation of Freddie's dead because he's clearly supposed to be in hell and dead. Yeah. And then it's also continuous new nightmare because yeah. he's, he's breaking the fourth wall in the beginning of the movie. So it's just like it's weird marriage there. I respect it because look, at that point we're all in on like we want as much England as possible. No, yeah, you know, but I was fine with it, but like it's just I do like the idea that it is like crazy. a combination of Freddy's Dead and New Nightmare. I wanted to run through the taglines of this film. Oh yeah, please do. So the two US taglines was the ultimate battle of evil versus evil. Yeah. That just feels yeah. really kind it's of like lazy. yeah, versus strong. It's lame. And the second one was Winner Kills All. I remember that one. <laughs> now, I don't like either of those, but no. I don't know. You, there's, there's a better tagline out there. Folks. I would have said evil versus eviler. Yeah. Evil versus evil. The, <laughs> the UK had a tagline, and it was even a killer has something to fear. That would have worked better for me if it was more of a Jason movie, because I actually like when he's really tormenting Jason and getting into his fear and his yeah. mind and all that. Although some of that's really silly. The posters for the movie, the only two that I can remember is like the one where they're face to face. You know, that's like on everything. Yeah. And then there's one where there's like light shining from behind them and side by side. And you see the, him standing there with the claw and, and then, you know, Jason standing there with the machete. Which is on the wrong side of the hip. It's on his left yes. and it's right, which always bothered me. <laughs> right. And and it's it's like you couldn't have just put Jason on the other side because it doesn't really matter what fucking no. hand he's got the machete in. But anyways, but because it was Freddy versus Jason. Yeah, and they didn't yeah, want to the confuse title. people that didn't know the franchise. That's actually, yeah. There's no variations. There's nothing else. And it, it just seems very phoned in. It's really, really kind of ridiculous i kind of wish we had a vintage poster like the 80s one yeah because uh what's his name the guy that did a lot of the original art for nightmare yeah. she went back and he did that new artwork for freddy's dead which is really cool yeah i, I would love one. to request that he would do a freddy vs jason you poster. Well, we should find that, him that, 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 yeah excuse no me, we, we, excuse me can you do uh, we'll, we'll commission him to <laughs> yeah. do it because that would be pretty great but i i do think that the, they just kind of phoned in the artwork for these and I know what they were banking off of, though, when they did that was because they also did the Las Vegas boxing matchup interview, which is a fun gimmick. Yeah. Again, they lean really Again, hard into that. Though. It's like you're like, OK, then right out the gate, we're, we're getting a more of a comedy vibe from this. And, mm -hmm. and I, as much as I love comedy in horror and there's a place for dark comedies in horror films and if you walk that line really well like lost boys i think walks that line like oh absolutely like if, if this was joel schumacher's next movie after lost boys i would think that that would have really worked honestly i think you joel schumacher would have worked in this also. yeah i know i'm just saying like i yeah. think that he would have really because that feels really lived in yeah. you know get, get the cinematography of that fucking movie it, they just leaned on the comedy aspect of it too much and i i, I didn't love that but you I know here line. it is you've got all these people that it's just like something they just want to have fun with now because mm -hmm. they've done all the hard work and they've done all the stuff and they don't need to prove anything to anybody so they just want to have fun with the franchise but when you're a kid and you're watching all these movies in the span of like a year for the first time and then this movie comes out it does feel weird you know yeah. it feels like as respectful as they are it doesn't feel lived in or scary it just feels a little silly well it's it's like in a, and here's a question i'll pose to everyone you know nowadays everyone's like how do we make it exactly like the movies from then you know how do we go back Whereas I feel like a lot of filmmakers and studios back in the early aughts, maybe to their credit, maybe to our chagrin, were saying, like, how do we look forward? 
And like, what do you love? I mean, what, what would you what do you respect more nowadays? I mean, I think maybe it's a case by case basis personally, but I mean, Dan, what do, would you rather look forward or look back? Um, you know me, I have issues with nostalgia. You do. Um, I, I really prefer moving forward. Yeah. And I just heard a great quote the other day that, you know, your style is basically your failed attempt at impersonating those who came before you. Mm-hmm. So you, it's impossible not to look back a little bit, but I think it's, you know, you want to move the football forward just a few more yards. So there's some innovative stuff in the first movies. You can't necessarily capture that lightning in a bottle, but why not take it and use it to push yourself forward as a filmmaker? Yeah, well, and that's something I feel like I agree. If, if you're creating a new entity, a new franchise, but the aesthetically, you're like I'd say, like it follows. Like that feels because just for the soundtrack alone, it's very '80s, but it doesn't feel like an '80s film. It doesn't look like that. It is very new and pushing the football forward, like you were saying, while still having that feel, still having that influence. But what if you're trying to make like a new Scream movie, I think you have to do new things, but you can only really do that with new properties because yeah. everyone's going to always be mad if you change the aesthetic or you change, you know, like, like, you know, with Rob Zombie's Halloween, you know, like when Michael Myers becomes like this behemoth, you know, like for me, it didn't work. I know, I know, <laughs> I know Rathan like, oh, like those movies, but I, I feel like you cannot successfully do that. I would be interested if they could, but I have not seen that really done well. I mean, it's kind of like the thing I always say with Halloween 4. It's like, I would have loved that movie if he just stayed in the bandages. And just you move forward. Yeah, which is hard because no one wants to mess with what they know works. And it's like, yeah, but if you don't try, then you're never going to get people out of their comfort zone. Yeah. Which is why I think like Halloween 3, they gave it a shot. Didn't work at the time, but that movie has now become like a big, big cult hit. So like you might Same upset you like might upset nightmare. the audiences now, but it, it's hard because if you're upsetting the audiences now, maybe you're not going to make the money you want to on it, and it doesn't matter if it becomes a cold hit because you're not going to get you know those proceeds unless you hold on to those rights and you really try to push it ten years later. Yeah, but like you know that's a long con and that's a that's a gamble. Uh, I'm also very anti nostalgia. Yeah. Although my following example is going to maybe shit on this, but you take the original Scarface and the remake. You know they're very much products of their time, but. I mean, they share basically the same story, but, you know, you couldn't remake the Howard Hawks version in the 80s without it seeming very... Like antiquated. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. So then you just go the other way and make it very Miami and cocaine-driven <laughs> and, and stuff and make it awesome. And then it worked. But no one liked Darface at first. They thought it was stupid. But over time, people loved it. So it also depends on who's behind it. Like, um, I think the things are able to be remade, but... There's a very small list of people who can do it, and they might not all be alive at the time that it's remade. <laughs> but if we're talking about Freddy vs. Jason. Um, yeah, I, I like what Ronnie Yu did because he did the best he could with what he had, and he wasn't as big a name as uh, Tom McLaughlin was. So I'm not sure if this was the case, but it wouldn't surprise me that like, he could be pushed around a bit more mm. and, and guided in terms of uh, what the movie should be. So we get you know, what happened with Freddy vs. Jason. And he probably didn't want a lot of CG because if you look at Brian Chucky and his previous movies and his following movies, they're not CG heavy. No. But, you know, Moonlight is coming off of uh, Lord of the Rings movies. This is the 2003 Return of the King came out before that. Everybody loved Gollum. He was uh, even a model for Levi's jeans or Gap (laughs) at some point. Seriously, look it up. Wait, really? Oh, my God. Uh Yeah. Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you can see why the studio would want Caterpillar Freddy and uh, Shadow Freddy. Because uh, we're making these Lord of the Rings movies and they love CG and that. 
So I can see why. And I don't judge the CG badly as I should because, you know, I've seen some more CG. Yeah. Like the one came out around that time when Jet Li fought Jet Li. And the, the CG Jet Li. Or even like a year that. earlier with Blade 2. Like that was my biggest complaint with that movie. It was like... Oh, another David S. Goyer film. It, oh, wow, actually. Yeah, is. He did the when Blade, he's like fighting Blade, in front Blade of the Trinity. spotlight. I mean... And even with the Matrix earlier that year, like the bendability, like everyone was so malleable oh, man. when they're like CGI like that. And I think that's kind of like that putty sort of CGI-ness doesn't really exist anymore, I don't think. I, I, I mean, like when like you look at joke, the Marvel movies, you know? like Hulk looks real. I, I'll give him credit now, like to be able to create like holy CGI characters. Like I think it's yeah, hard. Yeah, no, they've, they've come a long way. But see, the thing is with these movies now, it's like I feel like now when you see a movie like that and they do CG really well, it is very tangible. It does feel like it's there. I mean, you know it's CG. Yeah. But it's not off-putting. It doesn't pull me out of the yeah. movie necessarily if it's done very well. Yeah. Except that that's not how lady, it used to be. Uh, in, in chapter two. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like yeah. that. that's not how it used to be with, with a lot. And the thing is, is like half of the franchise of, of Marvel is CG. You know what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. like your mind's just blended already. True. But with something like this, I don't know. You got to go practical. And yeah. it's with a franchise that's always been really practical, I think, especially in nightmare films with, with the way that they're able to do those dreams and things. That's true. Yeah. I think that's always going to make it feel more like a nightmare film to me. And I, and I also wonder if it would have been a little bit more forgiving or a little bit less drastic or jarring if we had had some sort of entry that was a little closer to the, the sort of CGI explosion. You know, like I think like 93, 94 for, you know, Jason Goes to Hell and New Nightmare, respectively, like, they were still, like, right on the cusp of doing CGI. And, like, we did see some CGI in Freddy's Dead, and I'd say that's worse than, oh, than the stuff in yeah. this one, for sure. It's like, why didn't they learn their lesson, kind of Yeah. Thing? Well, I'm enjoying my time here by the lake. And if you could pass that radio for a second, yeah, uh, sure. I'd like to listen to some music in a section we like to call... Ah, nothing like some good old classic rock next to the lake, the good old Crystal Lake. And this lake has seen some sounds over the years, and uh, right now we're listening to the soothing noise of <laughs> Graham Revell, who was the main composer for this film, which is, again, you know, different era. They didn't, you know, want to go back to the core composers, and I guess they kind of were stuck at the same situation as the director, going, well, what do we do? <laughs> we, we lean towards more on Nightmare and bring you know, back, like... Yeah. Angelo Badalamente or Charles Bernstein, or do we get Henry Mancini to come back? And I think they were like, okay, let's just, you know, it, split the difference here. It's a, it's a solid bet of sorts because this guy has done so many scores. I mean, he did Dead Calm, Child's Play 2, The Crow, Street Fighter, Basketball Diaries, Strange Days from Dustal Dawn, The Craft, The Saint. And then ultimately, he did Bride of Chucky, which yeah. is the Ronnie Yu connection. Yeah. And so I'm sure that they were like, okay, well, these guys have worked well together. He's also done a myriad of horror scores. Yeah. Let's get him in. Sadly, I don't remember the music from this I don't movie either. at all. Except the nightmare theme and the chi 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 ha ha at the beginning uh, during the New Line uh, logo, which is fun. And, and you know, you're like, oh man, this is we're getting ready for this. You know, I personally do not think that the score was like fantastic. I don't really remember it that well. I don't remember much of any of the nightmare scores really, except for bits of uh, first nightmare in Elm Street. No, I agree with you. I think that main nightmare theme 
is really prevalent. And I think you could use that in every movie and I'd be okay with it because I mean, yeah. that's really, that really feels you throw that score on the background of Halloween and it, it you feel like you're in a nightmare movie right I, at the gate. I will say just looking at the soundtrack for this alone, if I had asked like, when did this movie come out? And someone said, well, I won't give you the date, but I'll give you all the artists that are on the soundtrack. <laughs> I'd probably be able to figure out what year, because here's all, here's the whole soundtrack. Yeah. Please run through it. <laughs> El Nino who had, how can I live? Which is like the big song off of it. Kill switch engage spine shank. Mushroom Head, Hatebreed, Slipknot, Chimera, From Autumn to Ashes, Seven Dust, Power Man 5000, Murder Dolls, Seether, Stone Sour, Devil Driver, Sepultura featuring Mike Patton. Oh, it was just on the This Must Be the Gig podcast. It's a great interview. The Blank Theory, Nothing Face, In Flames, Lamb of God, Typo Negative. Not a lot of you know diversity. It's on that so indicative of the early two thousands. It's it really like is. insane. And you know, the score might you know whatever the score is fine, but. As soon as Jason gets in front of Freddy, and then all of a sudden you hear that metal music coming, it's like, you're just like, what the fuck? Is <laughs> like, it's so time stamped. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. But, you know, it's fun. It's fun. Well, those also, are all your favorite yeah. bands, Dan. Uh, the uh, Junkie XL during the rave scene in the cornfield. Oh, yeah. Because um, he actually had done quite a few soundtracks. Um, I think he did Man of Steel. Oh, well, Junkie, Junkie XL, yeah. He did yeah. the uh, Mad Max. Mad yeah. Max. Yeah. Three uh, Roads, great. Yeah, Tomb Raider. So he, that bull, too. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I thought it was great. <laughs> well, I mean, the problem, I think, with it mostly is just you have two franchises. I still think you could have gotten something where you, you got creative. Like, do the Dark Knight thing. Get both of the two titans from the two, you know, franchises. Oh man! If you, if you had a mashup together. of like Mancini stuff and 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 like Bernstein, like <laughs> yeah. bring them back. Like that like, would have been weird. I mean, but again, I really feel like with this movie, it just felt like I think it was like twenty five million or something like that to, to, to throughout this movie, and then what did it end up making? One hundred twenty five. Oh, I made a shitload of money. Yeah, and this is I don't know how much they paid this guy, but you know, the thing is that they they were smart about it in the sense that. No one remembers the music because everyone's not listening yeah. to me. They, they did a good job in the sense of like, it didn't take away from the movie at all. No. It's easily forgettable, but it, it, in a way that serves the movie because you're focusing on Freddie and Jason. Yeah. You're not, you're not listening. It's only you're paying name. attention to the score the first time out that you've failed. You know what I mean? So like in terms of a, in terms of a serviceable score throughout, I thought it was like fine. The long-term play of this though, with that new metal really does. Oh no, that, that is. Yeah, that's clearly just, you know, they just wanted to, they wanted to put out a CD of like 20 bands or something on that set. And then it's just like, you know, it's it's a whole cash grab, but yeah, because you could still sell a soundtrack. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You know, and it was only like, what, three years after Creed curating the fucking Scream 3 soundtrack, which is just (laughs) like the worst. But I mean, the thing that kills me is that like, it's emblematic of just the studios not really having any reverence towards the source material. I mean, like, if you really wanted to shake it up and look back at like, what these franchises were really about. I mean, for Christ's sake, like, I mean, towards the end, like Nightmare was really embracing hip hop, like before hip hop was even big in the mainstream. There's a lot of like really cool, like heavy metal. There's a lot of like hard rock. There's a lot of new wave. There's a lot of pop. Like you should have had some variation here. And I think that if you really wanted to be true to the source material, you would have done that. And And, and I got, I got to say that cornfield rave, I don't buy that any of those people are listening to that music. No. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. No. It's crazy. So I got really nothing else to say much about the music of this movie. I think it's, it's not the weakest link per se, but it's just, it's just, it's just a non-starter really. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Ozfest rules. 
Ozfest, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ozfest. Um, uh, give me that licking cream by Seven Dust. <laughs> God, yeah. And, uh, and I'm going to give Carlos back his ear. Yeah, well, look, we've got our ears back. We've got our ears intact. It's uh, time to meet the Dream Demon himself in a section we like to call... What is going on with Freddy's teeth in this movie? <laughs> it changes five or six times. He's got five or six different prosthetics for his teeth. I understand it that like in the beginning, it's supposed to be like hell freddy he's got like the blue eyes the sharp witch teeth which i actually really like mm-hmm. that shows up again later on at the end when he's like demon freddy but he's yeah. like in the real world but not not the whole time he's in the real world only when he jumps out of the lake at the very end it is all over the place the rubber mask is back where there's you know spray some dew on that mask it looks like rubber when you have these close-up shots i don't understand that it's like they didn't realize oh with hd cameras uh we, we really we need to <laughs> pay more attention to like the what the way these things look on screen it's still so baffling to me that this franchise peaked in terms of its look on freddy in the second one he just looks so effective in that second movie and, and they, I, they keep him in the dark i know they keep him in the dark but this he's just he's so well lit in this movie again and and this goes like what you're saying with the camera work you know when you have really clean updated new cameras you know and everything's going digital slowly and it's just it's hard to the look recapture that leaves much to be desired but i thought like england himself like this is his last hurrah he never would be playing freddie again unless you want to count the goldbergs recently i don't year. i wouldn't either it's that's kind of it's really that's not canon oh it's not, not definitely oh, not canon okay. Yeah, maybe it is canon. Let's just throw it in there. No, I'm just joking. No, let's not do that because he looks really bad. It looks like it's like literally just sagging off him at that point. But England himself, I think, does a really good job in keeping the the pacing of this movie up to speed. You know, no problem with England in this movie. I think that he is chewing up the dialogue per yeah. usual. I mean, he does not. It doesn't feel like he's missed a beat. No, I feel like he's Freddie. It's fun. It's silly. Uh, it's definitely more of the MTV Freddy that we used to get back in the day, but like in this movie, it works because it is it is a little bit more lighthearted, and he's just having a great time. Yeah. You can tell he's having a great time, yeah. and you're tr- you're on board for most of that performance. Because to England's credit, like he knows his audiences. Yeah, absolutely. And like, if I think he maybe it's because they were <laughs> prepping him for like the WWF sort of press runs that he was doing, but he definitely appeals to that sort of teenager with the nwo shirt that's sitting there like i want to see them fight i yeah, want to see yeah. them f- brawl and he almost feels like a michael buffer at points yeah, when he's yeah. like literally taunting the screen taunting jason i think he's a delight to watch in this movie i think that even just down to like the little wink at the end which was bob shay's idea he really does know exactly what movie this is and and you know i understand them pivoting well i know it's a new line movie and you're going to pivot on the freddy front but jason doesn't talk no. So, so Robert, it's perfect for Robert England because he, he, gets, he gets to have all the lines. It's, even when Jason's on screen, he, yeah. he's the only one talking. So yeah. in that sense, I think he really embraced that yeah. and was able to work with it. My favorite Freddy is New Nightmare Freddy, but my favorite canonical Freddy is uh, this one. 
because he distills all the previous versions. Mm-hmm. Like, he's scary when he needs to be, but he's also funny, but not in a distracting way, like in uh, Oh, Freddy's Dead. There's a bit that I want to address when he says, how sweet dark meat. I didn't realize until years later that people had a problem with that because they said he was racist. But, A, it's a throwback to what he said to, okay, I forget her name, but the it's character Alice, in I think. Uh, Dream Master. Yeah. And, uh, B, yeah. he kills children. He's a, a, a child murderer. He's a dirty child murderer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he can kill kids, but he can't be racist if he was. Yeah. Freddy, I, Freddy's I canceled. The, I'm sorry. I, Freddy is canceled in my book. <laughs> <laughs> you can overlook certain things. Yeah. Some indiscretions, but you're, come on, Freddy. That's like the least problematic thing said. Uh, not and, the and least that, problematic. That's the same Freddy, exact yeah. scene. It's, it is the same exact with Ke- scene. With Kelly Rowland, where she calls she him does, a faggot. She and, does the, yeah. That's, yeah, a, that's it's, a bad, it's, yeah. It's, the, it's tough. It's tough. Which but, is a, you know, uh, which, um, the Goyer, not it's a Goyer or, baby. Goyer yeah. Well, I also like the original version of that where she's doing kind of like the Nancy monologue about yeah. taking back the fear, taking back the power to Jason. And then she turns around and Freddie's like, you know, wrong guy, bitch. And just yeah. like, and kills her. And like, I thought that was kind of funny Yeah, because they, they don't know the, she's especially her in this movie. They don't know the lore or any of the no. stuff behind it. You know what I mean? So I thought that that was a stronger bet. So, you know, when the writers saw the movie and they realized that that line was changed and, and I love the cast is just like, yeah, I can't believe that line made it into the movie. And I know. You think they'd almost scrub that now. I know. The way that the way they could do that because it's very You could easily do weird. it. Too. I understand like, you know, Fred's Revenge part two, you know, yeah. but, but that but also that is that almost has to you almost have to keep all that stuff, you know what I mean? Because yeah, that, that makes the sense. context and everything. Yeah, exactly. But like yeah, it's it's it, that really took me out of the movie. <laughs> it's like, oh shit. Like, yeah. Because yeah. it was right around the time where that was becoming very much realized across the board in terms mm-hmm. of things you should or shouldn't say on, on the big screen. Like there was a lot of awareness going around at that time. It was like the beginning of that. But what I, what I do respect with this film is that they make Freddie like a sexual deviant in this again. Oh yeah. There's that opening yeah. scene where he's with that little girl, Yeah, you know, and then you, you see him licking the photo, but he's, yeah. it's just to put it in the book, but you're also kind of like, but you like, it, it makes disgusting. you go like, no, this guy is yeah, like he a is fucking a child child killer molester. Yeah. And, you know, I mentioned before my girlfriend at the time really like having issues with the film and a lot of it really does happen like towards the end, even with like Monica Kina, like with her character when he's just like first time hurts. It's just like really sick and gross. And while a lot of people would have issues or be, you know, have some umbrage with it, I actually think it fits his tone of the character because like what Raven said, like yeah, he's fucking awful. You're supposed to fucking hate him, not supposed to just love him and treat him like an action figure like I do because I have three different action figures of Freddy but um, I also I, I kind of like the contrast too with the fact that Jason doesn't speak and kind of he becomes almost like a sympathetic character in a way because yeah. Freddy's so over the top and so creepy that you, you know when he's especially when he's bullying Jason as a child in some of the nightmares it almost makes you root for Jason more and yeah. you kind of need that if Versus want them both just being pure evil and yeah. not really having anyone to root for. It, it almost does the uh, Alien versus Predator thing, which I believe, yeah, I think that first one came out the year after this. But the Predator actually becomes like this weird anti-hero. Yeah. No, and, and I mean, I definitely felt like that too. Yeah, when he's pulling, dragging him under the water or when he's just kind of like shivering on the ground. And I thought that was that was one of the more, that was one of the more interesting aspects of the movie was when... Freddie's like, okay, let's see what are you afraid of, and how do I how do I attack you in your dreams? And although I, I th- it's <laughs> controversial now because people go, well, you know, we've literally seen like eight to ten movies of Jason in the water emerging out of it, and I think a lot of that has to do with the Goyer script cutting out a lot of the context of what that sort of um, fear 
of Jason meant, you know, because it was the fear of drowning. It was that that memory. Right. And I think the original script played it a little bit longer and mm-hmm. gave it some mm-hmm. more depth. Whereas this one is like so literal that it makes it seem like any sort of water he's terrified of. And it's just not the case. And like they make an argument and um, I believe it's Never Sleep Again, the documentary. They say that like that was still a dream. Like he's in a dream world when he sees the water. So you're seeing like, you know, the actual emotions of Jason come out where you wouldn't really necessarily see that in reality. Right. Well, let's talk about Jason for a minute because, and we can still talk about Freddie also. And yeah, no, this, yeah but, but we got to talk about Jason's Jason. Jason, this is a, a bit, the biggest controversial thing out of this movie, I think for most Friday the 13th fans is the fact that like Kane Hodder, who had played Jason more than any other Jason out there, had been championing this film for years, like over a decade before this was made. Big advocate. And he was advocating it like crazy. He'd be at conventions. He'd be giving updates. And they brought him in. Grab and they, uh, Jason's mask. He did grab Jason's mask. So he played Freddy even. And then he didn't get the job. And I believe they lowballed him on the offer at one point. And, and, and like, I got to say, on the Never Sleep Again documentary, classy. Yeah. He could have really yeah. tore into new one, but he, he does. Oh, and maybe they did and they cut it out of the talk, but he's really just like, you know, they decided to go, they wanted a bigger Jason. You know, they wanted the tall, huge, gigantic Jason next to a small Freddy. And he really just talks about it in a very like, that's, you know, they decided to yeah. do that. And that's, it just didn't go my way basically. And as a fan, it would have been really fun to see him. I, I know. I, I don't really, I don't love giant jason i don't either i think some of the scariest uh, friday the 13th are you know especially if there's a second one the second one he's, and he's just a yeah. guy yeah i mean he's got a mutated face but man he's just like he's a normal guy he's short Oof. and you know he's quick and he's like yeah I, I think when he's just like this giant frankenstein looking monster it just it loses something for me it's not scary it feels too fake well and then think about again if we're looking at the wrestling sort of illusions and parallels I get what New Line was thinking when they, because they hired Ken Kersinger, who's huge, just giant. Yeah. And he's got like the yeah. Steve Nash sort of thing where he's just towering over Freddy. And that's what they wanted to go for because they visually they wanted something to be able to have this, you know, like what presence. can kill him. Yeah. But it wasn't necessary. I agree. I think that if you have, obviously, if you have Jason who clearly, I mean, look, Ken Hodder is no. He's not like, you know, it's not like you're getting like this effeminate, smaller, you know, he's a fucking huge still. So he would have still been effective and he still would have really been a menacing presence against Uh, Robert And also, like like we were just saying, this is New Line and they're coming off the Lord of the Rings movies and we can't do some perspective shit. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like we can't just make Kane Hodder look a little bit larger. It's bizarre. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, those magical hobbits looked, they made Elijah Wood look very small. He is small in real life, but, you know, come on. Gandalf hitting his head on shit and and Bilbo's, you know, like uh, they could have done that. I would have bought it. There's a lot of CG in this movie already. We couldn't do that. There's also something really weird going on with Jason's head where it like literally looks like this like smoked skin that he has behind it. And I I know that he's gone through wear and tear. And if uh, (laughs) you look at where this is supposed to fit into the fucked up Friday the 13th timeline. Where is this coming up? Is it supposed to be after Jason goes to hell? So according to Friday the 13th wiki, Freddy vs. Jason in 2003 takes place in autumn 2003, which is two months after Jason goes to hell the final Friday, okay. which occurred in apparently June 2003, which means it's five years before we find Jason Voorhees captured at Camp Crystal Lake research facility in the beginning of Jason X, which was released in 2001. And that movie occurs or begins in 2008 and obviously shoots ahead 100,000 or whatever. Fucking and they definitely it decided to kind of go more with this look in the remake of yeah. Friday the 13th and obviously again you know the writers and, and whatnot went on to do that 
there's a lot of sequences with Jason in this movie that I feel like the guy's a good Jason. I yeah. think that, you know, he's fine. I like the cornfield situation where he's killing people that's, and that's all that stuff. That's his MVP moment. I, yeah. you know, I think that he's good. I was just bummed that Kane didn't get, didn't yeah, get it. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's that's it's, uh, Jeff Katz's fault, one of the producers. He, Although he was a big cheerleader for the Freddy vs. Jason over the years it took to get made, he's also the first guy to throw uh, Ken Hodder under the bus. Which is, which is he so bizarre. Jason in like the first three or four. Which is well, yeah, but again, if you like Jason in the first three or four, he is not this fucking no. Tyler Maine. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like he's not Tyler Maine. He's not this giant guy. He's just a guy. Yeah. So it's yeah. very interesting. But you know, it is what it is. I, I do think that he looks the most distressed and lived in than anybody in this movie. I know. You know I mean? Yeah, I love um, when they talked about how. Uh, well, I, just revisiting some chapters in the Crystal Lake Memories documentary, which is great. Six hours. If you have that many hours in your time or you want to just keep it on in the background, it's one of the best background watches ever because you could just keep it on for days and still find little nuggets here and there. But really he talks good. about how, like, they really do have a lot of attention to detail with what happens to, like, their respective bodies and their costumes. And Kane Hodder talks more about, like, the different wardrobes he had to do for Jason X more than he, you know, obviously because he wasn't involved with Freddy versus Jason, but the attention to detail in that respect is pretty good. And and we, we've talked a lot about the CGI leaning in this movie, but when they actually do fight at the end at Crystal Lake, the practical effects there are pretty great. And like them, like, you know, the way that they're chopping in their, the, the real blood being splashed everywhere, the limbs falling Arm down, coming off like and, yeah. the machetes being stabbed. Like it does, you do oh, feel there, like the there's meat. a beautiful scene where, uh, I believe Freddie like emerges from the water yeah, and it looks that's like a great a anime and it's yeah. just yeah. this red, like stark background. Yeah. And it's almost like, I guess like a matrix pose. Or yeah, something, that, but, that was in the tra- the trailer, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I think yeah. that, that, that is a really cool shot because it, it kind of reminds me of Jason coming up out of the water at the end of the first Friday the 13th. Oh, totally. I mean? And, and I kind of like that illusion. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm, I mean, I guess a good swung song for England, right? I mean, I, I wish we could have gotten one more, something like that. I mean, the Freddy versus Jason versus Ash with him would have been great. I mean, England still looked like Freddy here. You know, yes. he still looked athletic and he's, he's, still... he's very active and he did a lot of his own stunts. Yeah. So it, it, it is, I think it is a good final film for him mm-hmm. and it's, it's fun and he gets to have a lot of ridiculous dialogue, you know, yeah. like the welcome to my world bitch. Whenever he says bitch in these movies, I, I'm always pulled out of it. I'm, like, I am too. I'm just yeah. like, eh, I don't know. how, how, how perfect <laughs> of, you know, cause we didn't know it at the time, but now in hindsight, that wink at the end is pretty perfect for his final send off. Yeah. I, I was watching it like yesterday and when that, that scene happens and I know that the original ending was, you know, the, the, the sequence of will and that doesn't make any sense at all. And I'm glad <laughs> that they cut that, but, um, I don't know how you end that movie. So I, I, I am, I was always kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Like you're never really going to kill either of these people. And I no. like that. They don't even pretend to do that. They're like, Jason's alive and Friday's alive at the end of this movie. Yeah. And you know, there's no, there's no button at the end of this well, movie, except there, for the fact that they are going to always be around and alive. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, there's like trying to kill them or make it a definitive ending for either one of them. They, they, they just gave so up on that. And that's fine that because that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, cause like, there's just no way. I mean, like, I believe in one screenplay, they had one where they visit the gravesite for Jason and it's like born on this year. And then like the years were all scratched out to different years, uh, for when he kept coming back, <laughs> that's which great. is so fucking that's great. great. I love that joke they finally made sense of why freddie keeps coming back and it's, people keep believing in him like people yeah. know about him if yeah. people know about him he's going to come back whatever you do so let's have everyone forget about him and there's no more freddie yeah and, and that is a great nod to the new nightmare premise of you have to 
well, it's a little bit reverse than that, but it's yeah. just, you know, when you, when you're aware of him, he, he's actually like come, there's a, a life, you know, his life force comes back. But I like how in the movie, even Mark comes Mark, around and he's yeah. like, oh, fuck did He realizes like the town actually was onto something. And like, even though that it wasn't cool that they were locking up all these kids in yeah. Weston Hills, like they had kept Freddie at bay. So it's yeah. like, you're kind of rooting for the town a little bit. You're like, oh, wow, they really did kind of capture Freddie and almost yeah. get rid of him. It's almost and then like these a, fucking kids come in and blow the whole goddamn thing. It's like a commentary on the Patriot Act or something. You know? uh, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's that. what they're thinking. They're like, well, we, yeah. got, we got something to say. In this like, movie. you know, it's 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 a it's it's an evil sin of ours that we have to ha- we have to we have to look over these children and we have to know every movement. Yeah. Look, let's talk about those children. You know, yeah. And I guess they're not really children in this movie. They're more you know thirty somethings playing twenty uh, somethings or teens, whatever. We're going to talk about them right now when we head to Elm Street. You are all my children now. All right, look, we have a lot of people in this movie because clearly with this type of movie, they wanted to be able to kill as many fucking people as possible. Huge cast. Not going to dwell too much on each of them. Who do we want to start off with first? Do we want to maybe go like sequentially in this movie maybe a little bit or i think we go backwards yeah so that we can just barrel through some of these, yeah. these smaller roles and then spend some time on the and then you know what i mean yeah so maybe we start with bob shea <laughs> as his little cameo as the principal of the school which is always very fun and yeah. nice in these films he's either at um, uh, a gay bar <laughs> yeah at, a, at the school or he's in the offices of the, yeah. Yeah. The, office the, of uh, the ticket counter yeah, the ticket yes. counter. Ticket counter. Yeah. yeah. So he's been around um, in uh, Springwood. So always fun to see him. I, yeah. I, I got. I, I think there's another sequence with him possibly because I, there's some cutting room floor stuff. I think that has a minute. But Officer Stubbs. Yeah. <laughs> who makes the Jason connection? Uh, yeah, but you know what? Um, All right. This guy. That guy pulls me out of this. He always movie. looks like a total doofus. Yeah, and, and honestly, I think a lot of it. <laughs> I mean, he's good at that, but like, it's almost like the Dewey of this movie, well, but is. not really. <laughs> and, and honestly, he was in Scary Movie, so it's yeah, kind of yeah. like you have this guy, you know, Lachlan Monroe, who, by all you know, all intents and purposes, funny guy, yeah. but out of the element here. If you wanted a real cool, serious sheriff that was going to have something like you needed to go with like a, I mean, James Marsden probably would have looked too young at this point, but like James Marsden now, yeah. like somebody like that, that would have been able to have some sort of authority as opposed to like the Chris Pratt esque authoritarian that like, I mean, he literally is just like an Owen Grady in this movie with frosted it's, tips with frosted tips. Oh my God. The frosted tips are the worst. It's just, I don't know, like because he was in like dead man on campus and he was also in white chicks white chicks and like he's also in like a night at the roxbury where he's like the exercise guru like he just it, it, wrong casting here and i think that th- th- this was definitely somebody along with the jason muse stand-in are just two characters that i just uh i don't know they don't do anything for me what, what do you feel about chris marquette as charlie linderman and kyle labine as freeberg <laughs> They made the active joke in the documentary that Freeberg's like basically Jay. And then yeah. I actually love the Jason Mewes cameo in, in Nightmare yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the documentary, which is really funny. He's like, I'm not in this movie. Uh, yeah, exactly. But, you know, I actually don't mind that character in the movie. Um, the even though it is, yeah, I think even though it is like a total rip of that, I think that that guy does that very well. And it, it's not, it didn't really pull me out of it after I got past that. In terms of developing characters that you, you genuinely don't want to see die, like I didn't mind him in the movie. And maybe I'm in the minority. It's a cool death. And Lenderman as well. I feel like 
weirdly, of all the franchise movies, at least the last couple, I feel like these characters are pretty fleshed out over the course of the movie. Like, you know their role in the town, you know their connections with each other, and yeah, you kind of buy it. It's very, you know what, this this movie is like, what if Freddy and Jason showed up in 10 Things I Hate About You? Yes. That's what it feels like. Yeah. And Although, so yeah. I don't mind those kind of stereotypical characters in this. Yeah, Linderman actually has an arc. Uh, he's the incel of uh, Springwood, Ohio. <laughs> Basically gets angry when the girls don't date him. And, you know, at the time, he still looked like a little young Joe Strummer before Calls he became... out Kia at the cornfield. Uh, yeah. You know? And then I love... That sequence is so weird. She's so mean to him. And then he's, like, really mean to her. Yes. And then, like, two seconds later, she's like, let's dance. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, what yeah, the fuck? No, he, he does, like, the mystery <laughs> method. He He totally responds, like overkill to her comments and it seems to work on her i guess girls like dating oh. jerks i know well if we're gonna take notes <laughs> on Hannah Day, right, uh, from freddie versus jason absolutely follow linderman's uh role he got a harsh death too because he gets i, I always forget that it, like he gets pinned on that like shelving yeah thing that would hurt so fucking bad weirdly that is one of the death that's the death that works the most for me yeah it's like that scene where he's telling her to go. He's okay. You know, he's just like, you got to go, blah, blah, blah. And then they just that long kind of like linger on him. Yeah. Where you realize seconds after he says that he actually did die. Yeah. He's dead. Is and that the, the most the blood's coming out of him. It's really bizarre. It's, it's a bizarre beat in that movie. Yeah. But it's like, it's the one that actually like hit me the most. I was like, oh shit. Like this guy is dead. What are we going <laughs> to do? What are we going to do? Everybody else is just Linderman? like, if they die, they die and they're off the screen. You don't even care about him anymore. <laughs> but like him, I, I was like, wow, we really spent a second on Linderman. Um, Freeberg is funny because he gets the Jason goes to hell death, you know, where yes. the demon of Freddy possesses him weirdly. Yeah. And it, it, which if he was able to do that, this entire <laughs> franchise, then why hasn't he been doing that in all these other movies? But yeah. he gets inside of him and then, uh, he gets to fight Jason. So, he does get to fight Jason. Uh, yeah, that's kind of a fun, he, he, fun he does ending the for Paul him. Rudd, uh, Tommy Doyle ending of Halloween six, the theatrical cut where he injects Jason with this unknown. Oh yeah. The unknown substance. substance uh, oh, it's, oh, it's all the, isn't it? Isn't all the uh, is it hypnos? No, it's not hypnos. Thorazine or something. Yeah, Yeah, it's Thorazine, which is what uh, sedates Michael Myers in the first uh, Halloween. I really do hate this character Freeberg. I I just, I, 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 he drives me (laughs) fucking nuts, and I can't. I, I just hate like stoner kids in movies because they always lean on like these insane asinine stereotypes, and he's just like, there's literally all these things that are like you know happening, and all he gives a shit about is like smoking pot like as if like all stoners wouldn't be able to kind of contend with reality and like did, did you like the freddy caterpillar no no the little alice in wonderland uh, like sharing this, the bond and the music that starts and then, playing that's like it's, oh dude i was just waiting uh, for him to have like a cat in the hat top hat yeah <laughs> no no joke that's really what it's like and then your first you're kind of like oh is this supposed to be like a funny bit because he's like stoned like is he really seeing this but then it just it kind of keeps going and then he's not afraid of it at first but then he's definitely afraid of it when it jumps down from him from the from the rooftop something that would have worked as a practical effect i think much more effective uh, yeah i think so too if you saw that that thing come around the corner was a practical effect i think that would have been really disturbing but i do the only the only sequence that i like of his is when he walks into the room and all of the comatose patients are up and looking i think that's actually a very scary moment i like like that look and i like that feel of like and they're all talking to him that's kind of a cool moment it's cool i mean Um, i was i was definitely stoked when he got split in half though um (laughs) i I was just absolutely like all right jason you you're definitely you know cleaning up the trash in this movie yeah i mean the those those two characters eh okay but i will say like if we're going to talk about like the fringe characters my boy Zach Ward, Mark's older brother. He's uh, yeah, yeah. You know the uh, Christmas story himself. 
he apparently had a, I guess he had a, a much more elaborated role in the original screenplay. Yeah, where Mark sees him on TV, like committing suicide. And that's why he, when he goes in the bathroom, he's in the tub. Yeah. Because he had just committed suicide. He really captures like that, like when he has to play like the possessed Freddy or something like that. His facial expressions are like so England. He does a good England impersonation. Yeah. 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 Um, so I was, I, I really liked seeing like the fact that you got another character co- to kind of flesh out. Arguably, I think, I think honestly, if we're going to put it to him, I think Mark is the best character in this movie. Like Brendan Fletcher. I do really like Mark. Yeah. I, I really like He's his, uh, the most overqualified actor. <laughs> yes. In yeah. Brady Jason. But he had fun. Like if you've seen uh, Tideland, Terry Gilliam's pedophile opus. Uh, he doesn't have a job. But another weird thing with that whole sequence, though, is that when his older brother's in the tub, for some reason he decides he like starts giving him all this exposition about what what the plan is between him and Jason. Yeah, it's the James Bond moment. It's yeah, it's really bizarre. He's like, oh, you guys almost forgot about me. He literally, he tells him everything that he needs to know to tell Will and everybody, but then they don't do that. No, he he's just dies. Die. So you're like, why did you tell? Why did we need? We didn't need you to tell us that plot again in the middle of the movie. It's a very strange but, sequence. But in terms of like arcs, like his is so affecting because he really is like the one that's like on. He's like the Tommy Doyle in this movie, or like the Tommy Jarvis if you really want to go into. I it did like not want him, I, I didn't want him I, to die. I liked his relationship with Will. I thought he was. Sometimes that character can be really annoying in those yeah. movies. But, Robert England said that he did a, a fantastic job as Mark because that character, that kind of character, Jerry Hart to pull off because they could be very annoying. Yeah, and, and he never comes across as annoying to me. He comes across as like knowledgeable, and I think you really do buy the fact that he's like, "Fuck, I screwed this all up." Yeah, no, and I, I, I again, I think he does a really good job. He's uh, and MV, his, MVP of the movie for and me. And his death is the most nightmarish death in the home film. Yes, I, I'd say that's the only real like nightmare dream sequence that really works in terms of Freddy yeah. haunting someone and right. killing them and going straight, you know what I mean? Like for it without any interference from Jason or like weird, you know, half dream, half not dream. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's, it's the most nightmare dream sequence oh, that totally. we do get. Yeah. Freddy's only kill. It really is. I mean, does it really count? It if- almost dies, but Jason kills her. But yeah, Jason kills she's her. Mine. Mine. I, yeah, that that's another one where when he's chasing around the boiler room, that is a very oh yeah Freddy esque for sure. Obviously, and when, when Freddy first appears to her in the boiler room, it's like classic look. Like England knew yeah. exactly yeah. how to like kind of stand, exactly where to put the glove. It looks like I remember watching it in the theaters and getting chills because I was like, "Fuck, we're watching a night." Well, concert. and I and I had that same feeling when he appears to Laurie in the street, mm-hmm. and he's got the he's got the glove out just yeah. like in the first movie, but then the crazy shadow Freddy like swoops in and tries to. It's so fucking dumb, but yes, I do <laughs> that sequence does work for me uh, in the boiler room. Well, let's talk about Gib for a second because Gib Gib Smith played by Catherine Isabel. Huge horror screen queen because she had been in Ginger Snaps. Ginger Snaps and then went on to be on Hannibal, I believe. Yeah. 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 Yep. She plays that Mason Verger's Verger. sister. Yes. And I, I loved yeah. her on that. Yeah. So I, I felt American like, Mary. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she's mm-hmm. she's definitely like a screen queen. Did not have a very fun time on the set, though, because, you know, she had a no nudity clause in her contract. And she says that straight up that, like, you know, you stressing like to do the nude scenes and they eventually had to get like a stand-in for it i thought you know there's little fun facts with her because she wears like a red hat just like linda pj soul's character in carrie oh. so she wears the red cap as like an homage to that huh. i thought her character actually had a pretty good arc in terms of like the supporting characters and the supporting roles of laurie's friends and, and all and i thought that her death is pretty dark it's, it's brutal really fucking dark now she's being 
that is like on three fronts uh, uncomfortable. She's yeah. being she's being chased in the boiler room by Freddy. She gets totally uh, impaled by Jason while being sexually assaulted by yes. one of the ravers. It is like so give dark. this girl a break. And her boyfriend dies. But her boyfriend's a piece of her trash. Her boyfriend is a total shit. shit. And I guess he was. Uh... Kind of a jerk in real life, apparently, too. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, but, I'll buy that. I guess we could talk about Trey and Blake. Oh, God. Uh, the, we're, two, we're, the two, like, just, like, total cannon fodder for this movie. Um, Trey is her boyfriend? Trey is a boyfriend, and yeah. his Jason yeah. death is probably the, the best Jason death, where he gets stabbed through the mattress multiple times, and then the collapsible mattress where he just bends backwards. Like, I, that's, that's, yeah, a, that's that a great scene. Awesome. I love yeah, that, that scene. is really good. I mean... Would you still be alive? Um, he doesn't drop his no, beer. Your, your back breaks yeah, he like doesn't that. Drop like, his yeah, beer. No, you're, uh, well, you know, uh, like we learned in Shawshank, uh, uh, trauma can make you like clench onto things. Uh, oh God, <laughs> <laughs> King's Dominion. Uh, yeah, I, I thought that. Uh, I'm glad that uh, they had the dickhead boyfriend, which is like a trope of both movies. Glad they were able to hit that one. You but, do think that Blake and Trey, the way that they introduce them, though, are, are going to be like fixtures in the movie, and they no. die pretty quickly. Oh yeah. Which is total Friday the 13th. Absolutely. And then just Blake's death in the front with when he's holding the dad's head and he puts up the head, but then Jason cuts through both the head and him. Yeah. Like, it's pretty, uh, it's a pretty brutal death. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then before we get to the two main stars, uh, Laurie and Will, we have Kia Watterson, played by Destiny's Child Zone, Kelly Rowland. I love in the documentary, I remember, I don't remember if it's in the Never Sleep Again documentary or if it's in one of the DVD documentaries, but I remember like Robert England and his extravagant ways, just like, you know, she came onto the set and she was like an, an Audrey Hepburn. I, you know, I was like, what? Like, <laughs> Does he really say that? <laughs> yeah. He, he goes like, he's like, she was just, she was just, uh, just wonderful with her words or whatever. And I was just like, it was just so like high praise for it was it, just classic England, yeah, like talking yeah, up a movie yeah. or whatever. But I think Kelly Rowland did great. I, mean, I think I was, you know it's funny, I, except for that one line that obviously everybody's not keen on. Uh, obviously, <laughs> watching it this time, I you know it, as part of the crew, I think that she she does like a, a pretty pretty good job. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like her relationship with the characters and in the, in the, her death's brutal. Again, another Jason death. You know, does he she just die totally from obliterates the impact, her. or does she die from being stabbed? Though a little bit of both, probably. I mean, he uh, he just like slashes her into a tree, right? It's just like Pretty brutal. <laughs> I, I guess I would have liked to have seen a little bit more with the friends hanging out. You know, I mean, like that's the one thing that like they don't really capture so much. And like the Nightmare on Elm Street movies do a really good job, even the ones that are fast. Like you watch Dream Master, they just go right through those characters. But there's still scenes where you see them hanging out and being friends. I got to imagine there there was more of that in the original. Yeah. One thing that's funny in terms of friends hanging out, too. I love in this movie how a character will sort of exit like a living room to a kitchen and they'll speak as if this person has left the premises. And I'm like, this person can hear you talking about them. Yeah. There's that sequence where Gib is like fucking Trey upstairs, like with the door open and then it cuts to Kelly Rowland and what's her name? Lori's character, like walking down the hall and, you don't hear any of that. Like you're like <laughs> yeah. like you're like. Where are they all on different sound stages or something? Like yeah, no, it's like how a, big is this fucking house? Like, it's like a play or something where it's like an aside to the audience. I'm like, I'm pretty sure these characters <laughs> yeah. can hear you right now. Yeah, but, it's but, so uh, funny. Yeah, but Kelly, I mean, her hair looked fantastic in the movie. Oh, like, yeah. that was really cool with the red with the red highlights. Love the red highlights because I think that was like, supposed to be like what like maybe only feeling like a parallel to like like Freddie's sweater. Maybe uh, maybe I'm looking way too. Yeah, early. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, look, Kia is. Uh, in the end, she survives towards the last act. So 
pretty good, you know, good for especially in this movie where they're like killing left and right. I mean, yeah. nobody fucking survives in this movie. You go, you, and that's one thing I really do like about this film is that the stakes are pretty high. Like your survival rate because they know that nobody gives a shit about the human characters, which is one of the reasons why we're kind of like going through these is because they are like paper thin characters in the sense of just like, all right, well, you just got to get through and get to the main act, which is what you really want. Just to backtrack for one second, though, I had a question about Mark. Mark and Will have escaped the asylum. Mark's at his home on the computer. Where the fuck is his family? Where's his, I know. Where's his, you know like, yeah. it, it, did his parents die as well? Like, why is that house still there to, available to him? Why is his room the way that, you know, like, where it, are his parents not there? Is there a cut scene that explains why he's back at his house stuff. and like everything's, he seems to be like living there again? It's really bizarre. I'll also go back to like, if we're talking about the exposition, like, you know, I say that Mark is a great character and all, but there is some awful dialogue that he has to, you know, deliver. And um, he rises monologue. above it though. Like that one part where he's just like, one, two, Freddy is like you hear that oh, where he comes to the school yeah, your, yeah. I mean, it's like fucking stupid it's, lines just <laughs> god and it's oh, just like man. laughable now because in like the way that he delivers I mean he does definitely rise above it but you're also just like in an original in, in, in a in a Nightmare on Elm Street one or two I think like that that scene really would have worked but because it is so campy it takes yeah. this, this weird strange serious tone all of a sudden it just doesn't quite fit yeah, in there no it doesn't really mix well um, but what do, you, what do you guys think of uh, Lori's dad <laughs> well I think I've seen him in a shitload of like TV shows. Yeah, he's fine. I, I, that's a weird, that's a very strange storyline for me that that's why Will was put into the asylum. I think it, it would have just worked fine if Will thought he was seeing Freddy and then they, they just covered it up and said that they moved. Like, I don't think you needed that entire storyline where he thought that the father killed. And then when you find out that Freddy was really the one that, that killed the mother... That makes even less sense because, oh, you know, he does say, oh, you know, I have an affinity for the bitches in this house or something, the whores yeah. in this house. Uh, you know, I think it's like a little bit too convoluted for me. I don't think they needed that whole plot line. They could have just had him trying to protect her and giving her the hypnosil yeah. because he knew the history, but didn't necessarily. I don't think you needed to make him another villain. Yeah. It seemed kind of strange to throw that plot line in there. Well, we've covered pretty much all the characters who died. What were your favorite deaths? Well, uh, knowing the history behind it, I'm going to say Freddie's death because it was a therapy for Monica Kina. Like she was traumatized after seeing the first time on Elm Street when she was a, a kid to the point where she was losing weight and her mom had to put pictures of Robert England as himself and as Freddie next to her bed so she would understand that Freddie's fake. And when she got the job, she thought it was awesome that she got to kill Freddie. And when she told Robert England that in the shoot, he thought it was hilarious. So that's why uh, Freddy's death is uh, the best one, but it's for a completely out of context reason. Well, that's actually really cool with Monica Kina, like in inclusion in this, because like, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of history with her with this franchise. So for her to yeah. be coming into this, it's pretty interesting that like she's able to like on screen battle her own actual demons in a way. Very new nightmare. Uh, it's like reverse nightmare yeah. in a weird way. I think I think Monica Kina is actually pretty great in this film. I think that she's kind of shouldered with a lot of shitty lines, like a lot of other characters, like when she's like literally staring at um, my favorite, one of my favorite other lines that's like, like kind of eye rolly is when she's like in the memory at, Ca- at Camp Crystal Lake. That is like, one of Jason the most awkward. Jason Voorhees. <laughs> like, that's one. His name? And I, I, that is one of the most awkward sequences. Like I understand it's just a dream sequence, but it's like, Oh yeah, the camp counselors weren't paying attention, but there's two camp counselors talking and laughing on the porch. And then they cut to, one the one's just blatantly fucking this girl on the porch. You're like, what? And I and then it ends up being Freddy, and then it makes sense, I guess, in a in a weird dream. <laughs> but you're just like, 
Like, yeah, I thought they were fucking not paying attention, but like not on the porch not in front of all these kids. You, yeah. know? you think like it's just like in a room somewhere or a the, cabin, you know? I thought maybe that was what was happening, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, I was like, wait, that is that how uh, Jason remembers it? <laughs> uh, it's just like if they're so like, funny. In the, like in like the arts and crafts area, they, they really showed like every camp counselor just like fucking literally <laughs> yeah, like exactly. that explicitly too. Um, um, yeah, I, she yeah she's fine in the movie. I I you know she's fine. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't love her, I didn't hate her, but she's she she ain't no Alice. You know she's I mean? no Alice. If we're gonna talk about Monica Kina as Lori, we gotta talk about Jason Ritter as Will. And I don't know what the fuck you know Jason's doing in uh, like Jason Ritter <laughs> is doing these scenes, but he's like <laughs> he seems to like wrestle with every dialogue with his face. He's like <laughs> he like looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger in total recall when his mask is fucking up. Like <laughs> It's it's weird seeing his performance in this because I think he's gone on and done a lot of good oh, good yeah. stuff. Yeah, and it's it's just very uh, freshman esque, I guess. <laughs> Which, you know, like your dad died or something. Your dad killed me or like he's the way he delivers this one line. <laughs> Uh, that's just like you know, my brother died, or something. like it's very like <laughs> he looks like constipated at some points. And I don't know. I'm, it's not. Uh, he's got one of the best lines though when uh, they're trying to revive Jason. And Kia's like, oh, I don't want to do it. And then Linderman's like, you know, I've had asthma all life. And then she's still hesitant. And then you hear him yell out, Kia, he has asthma. <laughs> it's so funny. I was like dying laughing because I was like, that's one of the only bits that actually worked for me in the movie. Yeah, because like, it, and that's also a moment in the movie when you're just like, wow, this really... It's just, we're gone, in a film. it's just gone nuts. Yeah. We're, we're, in a, we're in a Freddy versus Jason movie. They're going to give mouth to mouth to Jason, which I guess was supposed to be like, you know, it's sort of gross horror, gross horror, like, ooh, would you give mouth to mouth? And it's just like, of we're course, giving yeah. mouth to mouth to Jason, to Jason Boris. Boris. Yeah, like, you, you're throwing everything out the window at that fucking point. Fucking batshit crazy this is. One last character I want to mention, though, before we move on is, what did you guys think about uh, Mrs. Voorhees? Ah, this is this is another weird, uh, um, you know, controversial thing. I, I like the idea that he's posing as her. I wish they kind of did more of that throughout the movie. Yeah. Whereas, like you know, kind of continually goading him into killing more and more, like showing up almost before each death. Because then when he finds out that it is Freddy uh, in that dream sequence, when he realizes, oh, she's not there, but Freddy is, and makes the connection that he's been posing as her. That, I buy that. Yeah. That's why he goes after Freddy like wholeheartedly after that point. But, um, I mean, you know, I think she's a fine stand-in. I mean, you know, but it, it was a weird choice to do that. I mean, they asked Betsy Palmer, but she was just like, I mean, she says in the, the Crystal Lake Memories documentary, that like there are no lines here for like why would I as an actress just yeah she said she would work even if they paid her scale but she just wanted it fleshed out a little bit more the yeah. character right right which honestly would have been great like throw the Friday Thirteenth franchise a little you know more yeah. of the bones here and, and again they they leaned more on Nightmare and and I like the continuity of it but I agree if they had fleshed out her character more I think that really would have worked I that, that that would have that would have given this an extra yeah. a little something extra and and the funny thing is now I wonder in the age of the internet where people really want to see the original actor yeah. participate it actually helps with the marketing if you know during the making of this movie they're like yeah we got the original actress to play. Pamela Voorhees That's coming a really in. Good point. Yeah. And you know, back then they were just like, we're not even gonna pay you, you know, here's scale, get the fuck yeah. out of here. Like if they um, would have just focused on live journal at the time and would have yeah. seen like, <laughs> like, oh my god, the, the live journal users on this nightmare thread. You've gone viral. Yeah, yeah, it's they really want Betsy back. And you know what's 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 even crazier about the whole Jason franchise, or just Jason in general in this movie, is like when Freddie gets him to bring him back to life from from hell, 
the first sequence we see of Jason is he's chasing this girl out, you know, in, 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 in essentially a dream, I guess. But mm-hmm. it's supposed to be hell. And if, if Jason's hell is just he's living on the camp and he continue, continues to dream about killing people. Isn't that just kind of like, isn't that his heaven? <laughs> yeah, oh, I mean, like, exactly. Yeah. Like, like if it was like them constantly getting away from him or something, maybe, but it's just weird. And then he gets resurrected and you're like, wait, how is he? I guess they're in hell. Yeah. It's not a dream. So it's, it's some of that, some of that stuff gets a little wonky. Well, there, maybe, but. <laughs> maybe the sequel could have been Freddie and Jason and it's not them fighting, but working together. And they're like, you know, it's almost like well, a lethal and, weapon. And, and they are there for a minute, but, uh, yeah, well, do we have anything else we want to say about the kids here? I mean, we, I know we glossed over them a lot, but look, this is Freddie and Jason's movie, arguably Freddie's movie. But I would have liked to have seen Brad Renfro. I think he would have given yeah. a little bit more heart. I would have liked to have seen some re- recurring characters. I don't know how they would have fit. Totally different movie. Would have liked to have seen Alice come in a little bit. Yeah, I think it that, really would have been a totally different I think movie. in nowadays, to Dan's point, the, the marketing of this movie would have been, it, it's like heaven because they have two franchises to pull from. They can bring in all these original faces. People are obsessed with Easter eggs now. Exactly. We, we've talked about this, how Easter eggs used to be a thing that you probably wouldn't even notice unless you were an expert. And now they're Easter baskets. They yeah. literally hit you over the head and it's like, oh, look, here's that. Like, get it? Yeah. But just having the original actors, I think, being there now, people would appreciate a little bit more just because it's like it's good to see them still getting work these days. You know? I, I would have liked a frequency style ending where like a Lori's about to be killed and all of a sudden... Tommy Jarvis is standing at the end of the dock. I'm not kidding. I think it would have been kind of fun to see, even if it was a post credit sequence where a car races down to the lake and they, and and he and Alice jump out of the car and they're like, Oh, okay. And they're like, they're dead. Yeah. You know, they just like, they just like leave. And they just like, like, well, they're too late. You know what I mean? Like, That would have been fun. All right. So the cabin set, they've, they, they have a great little uh, computer. Uh, I'm just going oh, all in on this yeah. cabin metaphor. Really Atari. <laughs> yeah. They, they have a great computer lab here at Camp Crystal Lake. And I'm going to go in there because I want to play some games. And hopefully we get some games with some great graphics. Ah! <laughs> what do you know? I beat my score. <laughs> All right. We talked about the CGI. I think there's some hits with the CGI. I think for me, I think a lot of the the, the stuff that's in the boiler room between Freddie and Jason is visually really impressive. Yeah. I think it gets a little too cartoonish when he's able to like hold on to things and he's smashing Jason a little bit. I think it's a little too I genie from love, Aladdin. Don't love the, the pinball no. Jason sequence. It's oh, kind God. of bizarre. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean we that's very Freddy, but we were, definitely Freddy's dead. We were rewatching it the other night, and it was literally after watching... It was on Friday the 13th we actually watched it. So we watched it right after Friday the 13th Part 5. And going from that film that takes some leaps, obviously, narratively and controversially at the time, but going from that to Pinball Machine Freddy, you're just like, what the fuck are we watching? <laughs> like, yeah. This is so ridiculous. I, I Again, I, you know, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the CG, but I do think all the practical effects, when, when they double down on them in this film they work really well yeah a round of applause to wcp productions they were the makeup house behind it yeah, yeah and yeah. and honestly like, they do a pretty good job with like giving uh like uh, some of the more like when you actually see like the blood and guts like kind of laying down there it's it's pretty visceral and graphic in a way but the imagination that we've talked about episode after episode on this season of uh halloweenies i really can't talk about too much here i mean like what were what were like some like imaginative sequences that we i mean we talked about like how they use rotating sets or they use like the prosthetics to make his arms longer like i well, just i don't i think the the 
Yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, it's hard. Just having like, a hard time, What yeah. is, like... I mean, I guess the ending sequence where they're developing something. Uh, well, I think the difference is, as much of a Freddy film this is, because, like Raven said, a lot of the deaths are Jason deaths, that they mm-hmm. are more slasher flick stabbing deaths. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have a lot of dream stuff in a creative death way. Yeah. I mean, like like we were saying, Mark's really the only death, and, and that's yeah. a full-on Freddy. And I think the like reason, the I think the reason cool. that works so well is because... You know, something they get away from in the latter movies is seeing what's actually happened to the real body. Mm-hmm. Like when you see him at the, the desk and his back's on fire yeah. um, and he's getting slashed in the face and, you know, it's all the stuff that's happening in the dream. But I think that that is actually where it starts to really work. You know, it's 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 like it's like in Freddy's Dead when we were saying Brecken Meyer when he's in the video game and they show him doing all that stuff. If they had showed him being just pulverized in real life and bloody and just disgusting yeah. and everything, like that's what's jarring about it. You can do all the silly stuff in the dreamscape, but when you see what's really happening to the body in the real world, that's where it's like horrifying. Yeah. And they kind of got away from that. But I'd like that they do that with Mark and with the whole Freddy's back thing. Yeah, and that, that was kind of fun. I mean, the Mark the Mark sequence is the only one I could think of that really goes back to the old school methodology of like, all right, we have a set here. What are we going to do in this set yeah. and how realistic can we make it? I mean, he talks about in the documentary how he like even the feet thing took like hours for them to put all those things yeah. in together with him. And it really is effective. It goes back to like Nightmare 3 when, you know, they're doing the puppetry sort of thing yeah. and it's going through like the the veins and and there's a gross out effect to it. I, I, I just think there's a, there's the, the cleanliness of this film, I think, also probably attributed to a lot of the green screen stuff that they, yeah. probably, that they probably had to do in order to replicate some backgrounds maybe or something it's easier if it doesn't feel lived in because you don't spend a lot of time on yeah. it i mean there's some stuff in the cornfields with like the bodies like with you know the pitchfork and like a bunch of the bodies being thrown left and right yeah. that's actually pretty cool well, and, like the running like the the guy on fire is pretty neat with yeah. like the with jason on fire most really of jason awesome. on fire is great and that, yeah. that that is like the mpv sequence because when he uh, and again the, the kills are, are all mostly jason and, and jason's deaths don't really call for a lot of cg yeah. so that's where you get a lot of just like blood and, and prosthetics and things like that when he's yeah. stabbing people left and right in the cornfield and this is really kind um, of the first instance where we're actually talking really deep cg i mean we're going to talk a lot about it in the next episode with the nightmare remake because yeah. we use it fucking yeah. nonstop, including the face and it's nuts because cg should work in the nightmare movie that yeah. you can do so much with it. And yeah. like, especially now, like why there isn't a movie on the docket. It's nuts to me because you can make things look really real and really do some crazy cool things with CG, yeah. at least environmentally. But I mean, is when it's coming? blood or horror or, or, or guts and it just doesn't work. Well, I, I will say kind of, I do like the climax of the film a lot. Um, when they finally do get together and fight on yeah. the lake and it's like, uh, it's very like misty and mm-hmm. smoky and it almost is like, is this still a dream? And there's like some shots that are great homages to older films. Like I think when Jason rises out of the water, it's kind of like apocalypse now. Like yeah. Captain Willard. And it's, I feel like that's when they really put a lot more thought into the shots and the sequences. Um, but it's just a shame that they really don't get together until kind of the last half hour. It really is kind of a Jason movie throughout yeah. until the end. He's like almost like um he's almost Gollum. like a golem in a way. Yeah. In a sense, is this is kind of like the Jason goes to hell for the Freddy franchise. Yeah, where, where Freddy is working through Jason. So yeah. he, so all the deaths and all the things that are happening that you want to see Freddy do. Jason's doing for most of the movie. Hey, they said it before. Freddy's dead. Jason lives. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's true. 
Raythan, what are some uh, standout um, graphics that, you know, you praise the, the, the FX team? Like, where do you think they really, like, show their worth? Well, it's a very, very little thing, but when Freddy was armless, like, it's very hard to do armless right if the person has arms. But mm-hmm. uh, in the dream sequence with Jason and on the dock, it was very believable, and there wasn't any CG involved because you can kind of smell it when it is. But in terms of any uh, anything else, Trey getting folded in half, yeah, uh, that, the entire dot sequence. Yeah, the tray the tray thing is pretty cool. I, I I totally skipped over that. That the practical effects there, like that's old school for the most part. Yeah, the Kelly Rowland death too is very old school because it's literally she gets slapped with the knife, which she gets hit with so much force with the machete that she goes like thirty feet backwards, yeah. which you think we would have cut her in half, I guess. <laughs> but they just slam a dummy against the tree, and it's just like a brutal like yeah. whiplash of an impact. Freddie kind of gives Jason that kill too because he's approaching her. And then he kind of does the Bugs Bunny yeah. point of like, look behind you. And then Jason yeah. swoops in. I, I also like the use of fire. The fire actually like molded to the stunt doubles for uh, Will and Laurie. Their wigs. Their wigs. Burned. And also, uh, Freddie, the, the face makeup yeah. stuck to uh, Robert England's yeah. face. So it must have been a really hot set. It's yeah. like, well, then even that last explosion they said was was not handled correctly. Like <laughs> something went out of control and, and they were like in danger. Ronnie, you said like his feet were, he thought his feet might be on fire. Like, oh, wow. you know, like, yeah, like. <laughs> They were just like, oh, okay, is everybody actually okay? Like, <laughs> I think something went wrong during that last explosion, which is funny. Um, I mean, no one was hurt, so that's good. Thank God, um, yeah. I, I also think that a famed missed sequence or something that was kind of talked about, but they didn't end up doing was the sequence where the, the last fight was actually going to be in hell. And yeah. that you could have done more CG stuff with, at least in terms of backgrounds and backdrops, where I think CG needs to live and, you know, and does well. But that one of the original endings also was Pinhead, Pinhead stopping the fight and saying, "Excuse me, you know, like we're glad you could drop in." <laughs> no, yeah. I, okay. but you know, but saying like, you know, I think it was, uh, you know, what seems to be the problem here, and that would have been a really fun tag ending. But again, then people would have been clamoring for another one with Pinhead, and that just. You know what's funny I don't know about if that, that would actually work is because this is such a huge success and Dimension Films had the rights to Halloween and Pinhead. There was a lot of talk going around that Pinhead was going to come to Haddonfield for Halloween, which would have been the most fucking absolutely asinine. I would have loved it. You would because you're a huge Hellraiser was my yeah, my big franchise. I would have loved to see that. Clive Barker was actually going to write it, and John Carpenter was going to direct it, but the Weinstein said no. Oh God! But just the idea of the gladiator style brawl in hell conducted by the lead Cenobite. If, uh, with Freddy and Jason fighting in hell, I think we would have had a lot more to complain about in terms of CG. Oh my goodness. I mean, everyone has their idea of hell and not everyone are on the same page and when you finally see it and then that would have to be like a splatterpunk sweat dream instead of something you'd see in a Marvel movie. I agree. Yeah. And, and, and like what they were discussing, like I think like some drafts had like Adolf Hitler in the crowd or like Ted Bundy on the sidelines or something like that it would have been ridiculous. But I think that this film, I don't know. I don't think it would have worked in this film. Hey, we had Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. They met Dracula and the Wolfman, too. And that worked. I think if they would have gone with what they were supposed to do with the next entry, I think then you really could have dabbled in hell. But we've already teased at this. We have one last section before we get to our final thoughts. But welcome, welcome to Prime, Prime. Welcome Time, to Prime. bitch. 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 <laughs> nice, nice. We harmonize so uh, great, guys. Yeah, yeah. There's really only one dream. There's really one dream in this yeah, entire thing. Well, so I, I what think is the I'm best gonna, dream? I'm going to, personally, I'm going to jump shark <laughs> and I'm going to, I'm going to do a Jason kill actually. Oh. Not, not a dream, but I, I love that bed, man. When he, he yeah. brutal, he just <laughs> machetes the hell of the guy's back and then just breaks him in half. Yeah. 
that is probably for me the most memorable uh, death for sure. Yeah. For me, I'm going with Mark. I loved Mark. That's a good one. And uh, that whole like dream sequence of the brother. I've got a brother too. And uh, that was an affecting scene. So I, I love the whole way that it weaves together. I like how it's one of the more patient deaths in this movie where it actually kind of teases out the details just like the old nightmare films. And it's one of the moments in the film when I was sitting there in theaters being like, yeah, all right, I want to see more chapters of A Nightmare on Elm Street now. Like, I want Freddy to come back. I love this little playful thing that he's doing here. Give me more. So that was that's mine. I like, agree with that, Mike. I think yeah. I can't really add a whole lot to that one. Yeah, it's... I, I like the idea, though, of the patience. And to me, that does feel a little bit more like Freddy Krueger, which is, again, he's who I'm rooting for. Team Freddy all the way. Team Freddy for me. Raythan, <laughs> your favorite. What would you uh, Laurie's to- Nightmare. Oh, yeah. Everyone's reminded of how much of a bastard Freddy really is. It's the way he taunts and plays with her. And, all, and it gets really imaginative. Like, I mean, we didn't mention this in the great graphics, but like the stuff with like the floor is pretty cool, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like her, her, her sequence is pretty harsh. And he gets like. She really, re- revisits her mother's death. It's yeah. stark. Yeah. Gets very Nancy almost. Yeah. Yeah. And you're in the house, too. So it makes sense. I guess Mark's death w- wins out here because Dan and I both chose Mark's death. So yeah, I, I'm on. J- I'm on Team Jason. This movie, You're Team Jason. I, I, you know, he's got most of the deaths, and I, you know, I love Rise of the Teens. So. Oh, that, that fits. That's fits. Yeah. We need yeah. someone to be on the Team Jason <laughs> side. But I'll be the one. Before we can take some hypnosil, I do want to talk about the potential sequel here because we don't really have a place to put it in this. So I love comic books, but told ya, comic books was bad for you. <laughs> We know Freddy vs. Jason was a huge hit. They wanted to make sequels. They were debating about how they were going to do it. One of the proposed ideas that came out about, and which I was very excited about, was Freddy vs. Jason versus Ash. They state in the documentary that it never really got as far as like just, you know, just casual mentions, but they clearly commissioned some sort of script because the script eventually actually turned into a comic book series, which for a comic book, a blast. I was racing to the comic book store every fucking week that the new issues were coming out because I wanted anything with Ash because at the time before Ash versus Evil Dead, you couldn't really get a lot of Ashley Williams stuff. I mean, they were making some weird spinoffs here and they made the video games and stuff. I love the Halo of the Chief. No, Halo, Halo of the King. King. Fistful uh, of Boomstick. Halo Fistful Chief. of Boomstick. <laughs> like, I love Halo of Thief. Yeah, Radiohead uh, <laughs> Evil Dead crossover. But so the, to have Ash come into this, I thought it was the most natural extension or idea that they had out of any of them i didn't want to see him fight michael myers because michael myers is another silent killer it makes no sense and would have been it's just a totally different type of franchise i thought pinhead could maybe work but ash was natural anti-hero could fight both of them could possibly be the only one that could really actually kill jason i feel with the in the necronomicon works with freddy so i, don't I think know. you know pinhead would have worked for me if it was just a freddy and pinhead crossover where yeah somehow freddy becomes a victim of Pinhead becomes kind of like half Freddy, half Cenobite, and like he sends him out to do his bidding or something. Or, yeah. It would have been really weird movie, but yeah. like it would have reinvigorated the Hellraiser franchise for sure. Sure. And um, that could have been cool. You know, I love Ash, love Evil Dead. Evil Dead's my favorite horror movie of all time. I think that that would have been really fun. But when you really start to step back and look at these things, if you're not a horror fan and you're trying to sell a Freddy versus Jason versus Ash movie, it's so specific to the fandom. Like, does it do well? Does it actually do well? Like Freddy vs. Jason, yeah, sure. But like at the time, 
the Evil Dead franchise hadn't had a movie in how many how many oh, years? Like, you know, I mean, yeah. it was like and those are cult ten. classic movies. Like it was like ten. A, the Army of, yeah. Army of Darkness is not was not like a huge hit. Like among, like no one knows that movie is unless you're a big horror fan. Yeah. So it's like I don't know if that really would have worked. And they, like they said that they just kind of bandied around a little bit, but it never was really an option. And I get that personally. I mean, of course, I would love to have seen that. Yeah. I think it definitely would have been way more comedic. But I would have been on board with the comedy because of ash you know what i mean like i would have been fine with it being more of a a comedy horror in that sense because you do have someone that's entrenched in comedy horror as the potential protagonist of the movie well if if having read the comics it did fulfill one dream that everyone wanted from friday the 13th Mm -hmm. which is that it was going to bring it to the winner and you were going to actually see jason in the snow you'd see ash in the snow I, i mean i just I still get like goosebumps thinking about it because just the idea of seeing Ash come back onto the big screen. I loved Ash vs. Evil Dead. I covered it religiously for EV Club. You know, it's a fun series. But to have seen like one last like feature film outing, especially with these characters, it would have just been heaven. I, I would I would have liked that. I would have actually wanted to see that more than Freddy vs. Jason. Because I think at that point, all bets are off. And you're able to just go off and go nuts. And the Necronomicon, I really think, is the thing that like, binds it all together. I mean, the Necronomicon appears in Jason Goes to Hell. So it makes sense even then, like, to kind of bring that lore. I mean, if we're using Jason Goes to Hell as, like, the fucking springboard. And Fred, Freddy's glove popped up in Evil Dead, too. It does, yes. So, and like, if I mean, you're, Yeah, there's that play between the two of them. And, and if you think of it, like, if you really are going to go the... After Jason Goes to Hell... It, potentially they're both demons yeah. and Freddy's dead saying that they're, they're, they're yeah. the dream demons. You could just say that the Necronomicon brought both of those demons into the world. You yeah. could have just gone that route. Uh-huh. And then, you know, you're fucking with a little bit of the, the lore there, but I would have, I would have welcomed it if they were actually made that movie and Ash was in it. I just, I, I would have loved it. Yeah. I will say right now, I know Bruce Campbell has, has like relinquished the role and has like moved on from it. Yeah. I think this is the perfect fucking thing to do for every franchise because you have the legal rights. They're all in craziness with like Friday the 13th. Put it all on the table. Just get it all together and go, how do we do this? Horror is at an insane hype right now. Insane mainstream. Ash is huge now. Jason's still, you know, he's still huge. People are clamoring for that movie to come back. The the Friday the 13th franchise. Just just fucking do it. Like Freddy versus Jason versus Ash right now. We would solve so many things. Sam Raimi, get him to come back and even just if direct it was it. like a goddamn like, Netflix movie, yeah. or, you know what I mean? Like just have it, have it happen. See, I, I think, think that would be the sequel I would want. I, right I now. think it would be. I agree with a lot of what's been said, but let's think of some other contemporary films that were coming out at that time. Freddy versus Jason versus Saw, <laughs> <laughs> or Freddy versus Jason versus Blade Trinity, and finally Blade Trinity. Freddy like, versus Jason versus Shaun of the Dead. Oh, wow. I that, think those write themselves. Shaun of the Dead, it would be fun. <laughs> Especially if Edgar Wright directed this. Could you imagine what Edgar Wright would do with a Nightmare oh, on the Street yeah. movie? Oh, my God. He'd have a killer soundtrack, too. But Yeah, but, but back to Ash there. Those are terrible ideas. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it, it would be funny, too, because sometimes we have two comedians competing. You know, yeah. there's that one-upsmanship that can be very entertaining oh to God, the audience, yeah. almost like they're roasting each other. Yeah. And I think Bruce Campbell and Robert England, you know that especially Robert would be, like, yeah. trying to hog... Just the spotlight. Yeah, yeah. And I think it could be really funny, but you're right. It wouldn't work against a silent killer. Cenobites are a little too serious. Mm-hmm. The humor is not as present. Yeah, no, no, but no. But those no. two together, it would have been great. It would have become like a cult classic. I just don't know if those films like peak at the same time because there's been a revival of Evil Dead yeah. in recent years with the TV show. 
but I don't know if at the time enough people would have been aware that a studio would, you know, put money behind it. I'm, I'm, I want it so bad right now. That's the, that, that, that would be the one project that I, for all these respective franchises, I don't want to see another standalone evil dead. I thought the show did fine. Although I wish the ending would not leave us in a, basically the alternate ending of Alt of army of darkness, but I would love it. I just would really love it. And I think that it would make sense for where Jason could be. I, I just think that, it, it fulfills all the things that we want from like these respective horror franchises and especially to be like the final, like if you want to really do another final outing, if like Robert Englund really wants to do just one more, man, just think about all the things you could do. Like what, what evil dead does that allows us to actually be so malleable is that you could bring back things and it would make sense. Like with the deadites bringing back Linda all the time, you could bring back fucking Heather Langenkamp yeah. and have her come back as like mm-hmm. some sort of like false, you know, hero and she turns out to be a deadite or some shit like that. Like, there's so much that you could do with it that I think it's just, it's evergreen It's a territory. great idea, but unfortunately with Bruce Campbell making that announcement I know. fairly recently, I, I do think it's he's done. I think if Sam came back and said, I'll do it, you get, you know... You know, and, and it's no sad because like, like you were saying, Dan, like having Ash and Freddy in a one-liner war, yeah. and even though comedic MTV Freddy is like my least favorite Freddy... In the Evil Dead universe, it works. Yes. And I think I would, I would welcome it. I would be like, yes, yeah. yes, yes. This is so funny to see them going back and forth. He's a perfect evil Ash stand-in, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it just, it would really work. Hail yeah. to the king, bitch. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> uh, They've both got, like, he's got a claw hand. He's got a... The, yes! The, you know, it's just like, it's a perfect team mashup. Just leave Jason out of it. The franchise is fucked. They're not going to have the rights to it. Just do Ash versus Freddy. Like, th- that would be really fun. It could work. I want all of them, though. I'm, I'm <laughs> just get them all. I'm get greedy. them all in there. I want all of them. Throw the leprechaun in there too. There's, it'll be the. Anything. It'll be like the Candy end. Of, man. It'll be the, the the end of Endgame. Uh, the portals yes. will open and all the horror oh, people will oh come man. out. <laughs> that is that's another thing right there. Oh my god, we should do an episode just based on what we would be in Endgame. Yeah, oh, it'd and, be a, um, a Ash versus Thanos and uh, <laughs> Thanos. <laughs> uh, cut off Thanos' head. Well, look, I'm closing this comic book and I'm going to take some hit myself. It's too late, Kruger. I know the secret now. This is just a dream. You're not alive. This whole thing is just a dream. I want my mother and friend again. What? I take back every bit of energy I gave you. You're nothing. It's been a long, long fight, long battle. I'm tired. Camp's getting a little cold. I can feel the breeze of autumn coming in. Let's rate this bitch. <laughs> Mac. Okay, so we decided because this is a Jason and uh Freddy uh and mashup and humans. Yeah. <laughs> we decided there'd be three ways to rate this. We're gonna do four finger knives, uh, up to one to four finger knives. We're gonna do one to four machetes. And one to four hypnosil hypnosil pills. Yes. I'm Team Jason. I'm going to give this two machetes out of four right down the middle for me. It's fun. Could have been better. Could have been worse. Yeah. As a kid, I enjoyed it when I first saw it. And I had a good time watching it last night. You know, you're always asking more of these movies, but man, this could have been so much worse. And I really appreciated the continuity. And I do think, even though I don't love Giant Jason... I still think he's really fun in the movie, yeah. and I like the interplay between the two of them. And you know, if it did fulfill that little 
bit of inner childhood where you're just like, I just want to see these two go at it. Yeah. And I think that that final fight sequence between the two of them is just really fun. It is. Yeah. I love when he drags Freddy through all the windows, you know, in the yeah. cabin. It's, it's just, you know, it, it's fine. And um, it's right in the middle for me. It, yeah. it's, it's, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Dan. I will give it two Freddy claws oh. and chase it with a hypnosil. Because that sounds like I have some sleeping issues and that would be great. Um, but yeah, at the time, this was an era where there wasn't as many crossovers. So we weren't as burned out. No. Now everything is intellectual property gets thrown into like a chili and a slow cooker and we just see how it tastes and everything kind of bleeds into each other. But at the time, this was like huge. This was, oh my God, these are two monsters that are going to have a fight. And it was right around the era of Napster when I was downloading a lot of punk covers of songs. So, you know, it would be like, oh, man, real big fish are covering Take On Me? This is great. Like, two worlds collide. And, oh, Sublime is covering every song because the MP3s are mislabeled. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so th this was – it's just – it hit at a sweet period of time in my yeah. life. I don't think it holds up as great, but I have fond memories. And I remember it being really exciting and fun when I watched it the first time. And it was fun. We watched it, like Mike said, Friday the 13th a couple of weeks back. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's – you know, it's – it's great. Yeah. It's great to have in the background joke around with friends. Yeah. Fun with friends. Yeah. Raven. I'm going to give it almost the whole glove and three finger blades. It's uh, the best fan film ever without being pandering because as we've seen these days, there are lots of uh, pandering fan films. But yeah, it, it gave me what I wanted, which was Freddy and Jason and they fire in the dock and they hack each other the bits. Process rules. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm i going to be somewhere in the middle of everyone. I, I'm going to go with... I'm Team Freddy, so I'm going to give it two Freddy Claws with also a couple of uh, hypnosil pills. We got what we, what we deserved, <laughs> what, we, what we earned yeah, um, yeah. as fans, you know, like is, you know, sitting through so many sequels to see the two of them on screen. I really would have loved to have seen Kane Hodder come back as Jason to just I think a lot of it for me is in the in, the, in hindsight, it's more of just like. You could have been a little bit more reverent to the source material. But at the time, I mean, like I said before, I saw this movie like five or six times in theaters. I, it clearly was an event for me. And it still feels like an event watching it when you can just see them all together, especially if you do any binge watching. You know, like when you go through all these movies and you go, oh, wow, we can actually do crossroads here and like put them together. There's something really cool about it. And there's even something cool about the fact that like we have two huge career spanning documentaries with, you know, both of them have to contend with this movie and you have different perspectives. So for me, yeah. I, I agree with with everything. I think it is like an ultimate fan film. I think that there is something really cool and fan fictiony about this without it coming across as too fan fictiony. Would like to see them explore this in this era when when we are really reverent to the source material, and uh, that's why I want Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. Now I'm all in on it. I'm like now I'm thinking about ideas, and I'm like fuck, just make it happen. But so that's where I stand on that, and I think that closes closes. Uh, I think it's time to leave the the ring, and we've I think we've appropriately covered. This oh wait, I got a great title entry. for it. Oh, go okay. for it. Friday the Thirteenth Evil Dead is Fred. <laughs> <laughs> like it. Yeah, yeah. The, but I like your leaving, <laughs> leaving the ring. It, it, to me, this is like the end of. Uh, it's like the end of Rocky. Yeah, where uh, you know. Freddie probably wins, but you know Jason went the full rounds, and uh, <laughs> you know we're we're happy we're happy with both of them living at the yeah. end and moving on. Yeah, and uh, you know we're ready for more. We're always ready for more, and we're gonna get more because we're still not done on Elm Street. Uh, we've got one more episode dedicated to the feature films that's coming uh, out in October. Uh, the remake, A Nightmare on Elm Street, from 2010, and 
everyone's favorite version. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Can't you wait to watch bastard. it. I Can't know, wait to watch it. I've only seen it once, and I'm I'm interested in seeing it again. I remember a lot of little things that I I, I we saw it together. Yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to that episode for sure. There's a lot and, to talk about, and we have that. And then in November, we're gonna. Go back to England. We're not saying bye to him yet because he still appears in many episodes of Freddy's Nightmares, which we're going to be covering in November. And uh, we're still mulling over whether or not we're going to be doing some for December. But that's our schedule. And uh, we are, quote unquote, sticking to it. Uh, For now, I'm tired. But I know that that goes against the advice of Nancy Thompson, who said, whatever you do, don't don't fall asleep. Consequence Podcast Network.